Depends on the distance. Depends on your training. Um, it depends on a lot of things. Shot, 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 Uh, everybody. Diz Runs Radio, episode 1121. Starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 here we are. Didn't didn't take long to get uh, through the first month of 2023. And as is our custom, as is our tradition, as is just the way we do things around here, the last Friday of every month is dedicated towards your questions, my answers, and that is what we have in store for you today. The monthly listener Q&A episode for January 2023 is, uh, I guess it's officially begun. Um, if you're new around here, like I said, we do this every month. The last Friday of every month is dedicated to your questions. And the best way to get your questions submitted into the hopper for future months is to join the Facebook group. Dizruns.com slash Facebook is our, our link. Or if you're on Facebook, just search for the Dizruns tribe. Come on and join the party. I like to think it's a pretty good party. Uh, we, we've got a pretty good group in there. A lot of nonsense, a lot of running stuff, but there's some nonsense that goes on as well. But uh, somewhere in the middle of the month, I usually put out a post that says, hey, what are your questions for this month? That's where you leave your questions. And then bada boom, bada bam, a week and a half or so later, we have the uh, Q&A episode. Now, if you're not on Facebook, you know, shout out to Gary Joe and everybody else who is, uh, I don't know, lucky, fortunate enough to not feel like a, a need to be on Facebook, not feel the call of the book of faces you can always send your, your questions via you know DM on other social media, shoot me an email, whatever. I will, as always, do my best to make sure to not overlook those DMs or emails, but no guarantees. It will be a, an honest try to get your questions included. Um, but as I may have said once or twice, but if you're new, you probably haven't heard me say this before. My inbox is a uh, is a disaster area. My DMs are a little better, but not a whole lot better. So things do get lost in the shuffle there. Um, but one way or the other, glad to have questions to ask, questions to ask. No questions that you ask that I can answer. So, uh, let's, let's get right to it. Shall we? Uh, first question this month comes from Jackie says, uh, I seem to be good at running 0.3 or 0.4 miles longer on a half marathon race course. I tend to stick to the right outside of the road when it's crowded and move toward the middle when it's not. I thought I was doing a pretty good job of shaving off corners. I don't think I am, or is this extra distance about average? Any tips? So Jackie, I, I would say that, that, yeah, I mean, what, what you're experiencing isn't, is definitely not abnormal. Um, lots of us, myself included have run, run races where the finish line and, uh, what the, what the distance should be quote unquote should be on our watch. Don't exactly line up typically a little bit longer, you know, and, and to be 0.3 or 0.4 longer than 13.1. I mean, that's, that's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter, right? But if you're if you're really racing, like if you're trying to, to race hard and set PRs, like you know, going an extra you know quarter to almost a half of a mile longer, kind of hard to to you know trim off much time as much time as maybe you would expect. 
Um, so yeah, so it matters. And I think that, that what you're, what you're trying to do, if I, if I'm reading your, your question correctly, like you're, you're trying, but maybe you're missing the mark slightly. So hopefully this will make sense to you and, and to anybody else, whether you're new to racing or not, um, you know, th- the way that they measure a race course that this is important, an important distinction, just because you sign up for a race doesn't mean it's a certified course. Meaning that sometimes you sign up for a race, could be a half, could be a full, could be a road race, could be a 5K, could be whatever, could be a road, could be a trail. Now, I'll tell you what, trails, they're, they're usually more ballpark than, than, than exact science. But you think just because you signed up for a road race, it should be measured correctly. Not always the case. If it's a certified course, however, what they do is they measure the straightest line possible for the race course. So when you say in your question, Jackie, that you tend to stick to the right outside of the road when it's crowded... Sometimes that's the shortest distance. Sometimes it's not. If you if you take a turn to the left, running on the right side of the road, you're covering a longer distance than if you're along the, the, the left side of the course at that point, right? Same thing with the middle. You tend then you tend to move towards the middle when it straightens out. Well, the 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 course itself isn't necessarily measured through the middle of the road. Sometimes it'll be the left side when you turn left. Sometimes it'll be the right side when you turn right. Um, it, it bobs and weaves, right? So so in theory, what you're doing is great. You're trying to, to trim things off and make sure that, that, you're, you, that you're not missing anything or, or not, not intentionally running longer than you need to. Um, but it sounds like you're just not on the perfect tangent line, which, which you know, again... You're in good company. Most of us, even if even if we we are doing everything we can to try to run an exact distance, the more curves there are on a race course, the harder it's going to be, because you you bob and weave a little bit around some some people, especially at, at crowded points of the course. You know, you you you're, you aren't right on the inside part. You're not on the rail. If you talk track terminology, you're not right on the rail for every turn. Um, so you're going to end up with a little bit more. Now, now I like to think, for me personally, that like. A point one or point two on a ha- on a half marathon, like point one, is is I'm not going to get upset about. If I start getting into a quarter of a mile on a half that I'm trying to race, I do, I do start to get a little bit frustrated that like yeah, you know, like like that that's an extra minute or two, you know. Um, but on on days when I'm not really racing, if I'm just out cruising, then I'm not going to worry about as much about it. But but I guess all that to say, what you're doing isn't dramatically different than what most of us do. I'm sure. Um, but again, the more crowded the race, the more curves on the race, the harder it is to be exact. But remember that it's not always the right side, not always the middle is the shortest distance on your race course. Um, sometimes you got you kind of got to bob and weave a little bit. But when you're bobbing and weaving, make sure that you're doing your best to not be cutting other people off, things like that. So, you know, we all kind of got to work together out there. Um, but that sounds like that's, that's where your extra, you know, three or four tenths of a mile are coming from. And probably you could trim a little bit of that off um, with a little more, um, willingness to, to cut from, not to cut people off, of course, but to, to go from right to center, to left to center, kind of as the course twists and turns out there. But thanks for the question, Jackie. Hope that made sense and hope that your next half marathon is a little closer to like three point thirteen point not three. That would be a 5k. Um, but a little closer to 13.1, maybe 13.15, uh, maybe 13.12, then, you know, bumping up against 13.5. So thanks. Thanks for the question, Jackie, and, and happy new year to you. Um, next question from Michaela. Say every time you run a race, you have a different terrible pain, but it's never the same terrible pain. Is that your brain just trying to get you to quit or do we just have to get better at managing the things we know? 
Um, or do we just, I'm sorry, or do we just get better at managing the things we know? So um, a little bit confused about this question, but in, in talking to Michaela, it, 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 now it makes more sense to me. Um, and, and maybe the rest of y'all have experienced this before where, you know, you're out running and, and, you know, through the whole training cycle, everything has been good. And then, and then you get to, to race day or maybe just before the race. Um, you know, we, sometimes we refer to these as taper pains or phantom pains where it's like, holy crap, what happened to my right knee? Like, what is going on? You know, went to bed yesterday, feeling great today. Get up for your, for your first couple of miles. Maybe it's the first couple of miles of the race. Maybe it's a few miles into a race. Maybe it's just a, that last shakeout run and like something is not right. Then it's gone. Then it disappears the next day. You know, it's, it's fine. Um, and sometimes those pains bounce around a little bit. Sometimes it's the right knee and then it's the left ankle and then it's the, the, the hip and, and, you know, the calf and the Achilles and, but it never sticks around and it's never a, an ongoing recurrent thing. Um, yeah, I mean, Michaela, getting back to your question. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's mostly, it's mostly mental. Um, and I think sometimes it's, it's self-preservation. It's, it's our body going, what, what are you doing? especially if you go into like, if you're, if you're into a situation where you haven't been training as much, you know, for, for you, you saying that it's on race day, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's a training thing leading up to the race. If training's hit, hit or miss, um, and then you get out there and, 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 you know, maybe you're doing, and I know you like to do some of the, the, the longer stuff on the trail. So maybe you've got a, a 30 K 40 K 50 K type of race and leading up to that, the, the longest you've been running has been, you know, six miles, seven miles, eight miles, something like that. Well, yeah, you get to you get to nine or ten miles, and your body's like, "What the hell's what, what's going on here?" Like, let's let's throw something at her, see if it shuts her down. Um, not that our bodies are that self sabotaging, but sometimes they kind of are that self sabotaging. So, you know, something that that isn't that big of a deal, but your your body amplifies it because you're you're doing stuff that your body hasn't been used to doing lately. Um, so there's a little bit of that self preservation in there, and then once you shut it down, then your body's like, "Oh yeah, we're good, no, no factor, no problem." Um, so so. You know, it is sometimes your brain trying to get you to quit, um, but also, you know, something that, that sometimes, not all, not always, but sometimes you can kind of work through a bit more um, in training and just conditioning your body to be like, oh, yeah, a little bit of stiffness here, a little bit of something there. It's no big deal uh, because a lot of times it isn't, right? It's it's something that, that is um, something that we can work through and it doesn't get worse and, and things like that. That said, there is also certainly something that we get better at managing things that we know. You know, if, if, if you kind of have... Um, you know, if, if you have these phantom pains and they're always in your, in your plantar fascia, you kind of get used to just like, ah, stretch it out a little bit, get the massage roller on it. Uh, good to go. Um, so then your body got to throw something else at you, but, uh, definitely, you know, I I've had this definitely in taper situations. I don't know that I've had it too often during, during race day. Um, but it happens. And I think most times in, in majority of times, maybe not most, but certainly in the majority of times, which I guess you can maybe make the argument is also most times. Um, it is mental. It's nothing serious. Um, but it doesn't mean it's not uncomfortable. Like you said, I mean, terrible pain. Um, but sometimes the, the things that, that as you, as you condition more, as you, as you become, you know, more consistent with your training, um, those things in my experience, at least start to become fewer and farther between, um, to where if there is something that's going on, it's probably something that's actually going on. It needs to be addressed not just kind of one of these brain self-sabotage moments, um, that can happen from time to time. So hopefully 2023 will be the year of no crazy phantom pains for, for you, Michaela. Um, and you can just have some good races and, uh, not worry about what, what's going to hurt at the halfway point of the race today. But, uh, thanks for the question, lady. Appreciate it. Next from my man, Mathis from James down in Florida. How do you get to sleep the night before a big race? 
In the past, I've tried to get plenty of sleep the night before the night before the race, but now my anxiousness is starting to creep into that night's sleep as well. Whiskey, CBD, what works for you? So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a, a, as much of a problem. I don't think getting to sleep the night before a race. Um, I have a, a harder time staying asleep, James. So like, like my, my sleep pattern the night before a race is, you know, go to bed. Um, and then like an hour and a half later. So like, you know, go to bed at whatever, nine o'clock, nine 30, 10 o'clock, maybe depending on, on situations, but, but as early as possible, right. Fall asleep an hour or two later, wake up in a panic. Oh, sh- ah, I overslept, you know, check, check the watch, check the clock. The alarm didn't go off. Oh, it's, it's only 1145. It's not even midnight yet. Back to sleep. 45 minutes later. Ah, oh, now it's 1230 back to sleep. Rinse and repeat until, you know, finally it's, it's about that time when I need to just wake up. Right. So it's, it's definitely not quality sleep. It's, it's a lot of, uh, you know, it's a lot of that anxiousness or just that, that panic that sets in of like, I've told my mind I need to wake up at a certain time. And so my mind is keep trying to wake myself up, even though we're nowhere near it. Um, and and I I don't know that there's, there's a, a good solution for it. I mean, yeah, whiskey might help a little bit. CBD might help a little bit. Meditation might help a little bit. Um, but I think that's just part of being excited about a big race, right? Like, like that doesn't, pro- I'm assuming for you that that probably doesn't happen before a 5k or even before a 10k or a half marathon or, or any type of race. It could be even be a, you know, a 50k or, or a longer type of race that like, you're not worried about whether or not you're going to finish. You're not worried about times, you know, you're out there to have fun, to shoot the breeze, to, to have some laughs, to get some miles in. And like, you know, how, whether it takes you six hours or nine hours, eh, it doesn't really matter. Right. Like, like those races in my experience, and, and, and maybe this isn't for you, James, but maybe this is those races. You sleep, no problem, no, no factor, but the races that you are anxious about, whether it's a, a goal race for P for PRs, whether it's a new distance that you're like, I don't know if I can run whatever a hundred K or a hundred miles or 200 miles or whatever the big races might be. Um, I mean, I think that, that, that struggling to sleep and that anxiety and that anxiousness and that, that, I mean, part of me says that's a good thing. Like not that you can't sleep, but like, it means that you're excited about the race. Right. And that it's going to be a big challenge, but that you're, you're confident and that, that you're, you're kind of like, let's get this party started. So, um, you know, if you can the night before the night before that's, that's ideal. Um, and if it's, you know, and maybe that's part of just the taper in general of like, all right, we still have two weeks until the race. You're starting to get into that taper mode. Like, can we get a little bit extra sleep here? Get an extra half an hour every night. You know, can you get an extra hour, um, a couple nights before and, and just try to bank as much sleep as you can, right? As much rest and recovery as you can in the, the days leading up to the race, knowing that, that the night before, potentially a couple nights before going to be less than ideal, but you know, it's not going to be the end of the world, especially if training went well, if the tapers gone well. Um, hopefully it goes as well as you can. And if you do get up a little bit early, you can't get back to sleep. Then, then try not to eat sometimes easier said than done, but try not to, you know, stress about it, right? Like just like, all right, well, woke up at three in the morning, could have slept until five, but I'm not going to lay in bed and toss and turn. It's going to have a little extra coffee. Um, you know, have, have a little bit bigger breakfast since I'm up a little bit earlier. Let, let that, that food settle. Um, try to use it maybe not as, as to your advantage, but try to minimize the disadvantage caused by it as much as possible, if that makes sense. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's something that, that I know happens to me on occasion. I know it happens to others. Um, and I think it's, I think it just means that you care about the race, which is, which is a good thing. 
a good thing. So hopefully the race went well. Hopefully future races, you can get a little bit better sleep. But if not, try not to overreact and just have a good race if at all possible. But thanks for the question, James. Always appreciate you. Uh, next from Michael, new to the group. Thanks for joining the group, Michael. Hopefully uh, it won't be the last time we get a question from you. Which is most effective during training? Body weight versus resistance bands versus heavyweights for strength training while training for a race. Um, I, I, I hate to potentially come across as dismissive, Michael, um, but the, the most effective strength training is the one that you're going to do, right? So, and, and there is some nuance there. You know, if you start getting towards the later phase of the, of the training cycle, especially into the taper, taper situation, you know, maybe you want to keep going through the motions, you know, keep, keep ticking the box and, but, but don't want to do the heavier strength training stuff anymore. That makes sense. But just in general, you know, during the early phase of a training cycle, or if you're kind of in a base building phase where you're not really ramping up yet for a race, um, strength training is good. And, and there, there, there would be people that would argue that body weight is, is perfect. Um, that heavy weights are better. Um, and, and there are, there, as, as always, there's nuance and there's reasons that, yeah, okay. In this situation, sure. And in that situation, sure. Um, but the strength training that you're going to do is always better than the ideal strength training that you're not going to do. Right. So like if you can get to the gym and lift heavy, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's something that, that a lot of runners, myself included, would benefit from. Now, just talking about myself here, like, I am not going to buy a gym membership so I can go lift heavy. So, like, what can I do to, like, I've got some dumbbells. I've got up to, like, 30-pound dumbbells. You know, maybe that means that somewhere in the not-too-distant future, I'm going to invest in some heavier dumbbells. It's something I've thought about, you know, to, to get some more heavyweight options at the house. Um, sometimes I do body weight. Sometimes I do bands. Sometimes I, I work with what I've got, you know, with, with twenties and 25s and thirties and 15s and whatever. Um, but, but always the strength training I do is way more effective than the quote unquote, perfect ideal strength training that I don't do. Right. Like, like if, if doing heavy, whatever, heavy squats, um, is, is a 10 out of 10, you know, doing my squats with my 30 pound weights might only be an eight out of 10. Doing it with my body weight might only be a six out of 10, but it's better than the zero out of 10 of not doing it. Right. So, so don't worry about like, like feeling like it has to be perfect. Get it done. Get it done. Um, and again, there's a time and a place when each of those is probably the best choice, which gets into a whole lot more nuance than we're going to get into here. But when in doubt, you know, something greater than nothing, it, it, it works for foam rolling. It works for training miles. It works for strength training. Um, it works for, for most everything, uh, as it relates to, to our health and fitness and, and building our, ourselves up as runners, that getting in something is going to be better than, than nothing, uh, almost every time. So don't overthink it, you know, and especially if you're new to strength training, which I don't know that you are Michael. Um, uh, but, it, but if you are, you know, then there's a really good, uh, good argument to like not jump right into heavy weights, start with, with good form with your body weight and build from there. So, um, I could talk my, I could continue to talk myself in circles here, uh, which wouldn't be the first time I've talked myself in circles on a Q and a episode. Uh, but I think I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you for the question, Michael, and, and do your strength training, however it looks. And if you can mix and match a little bit, maybe that really is the, the ideal scenario, but take what you can get something better than nothing for sure. But, uh, thanks. Thanks for the question and, and welcome again to the group. I know you joined just relatively recently. Glad to have you as, as part of our little crew here. Uh, next question from Allie, and she knows how to butter me up. Says heart rate training question. Huh? 
heart rate training question. Yes, ma'am. Speaking my love language, how strict are you? If I'm running a hilly route, do I walk up the hill to keep my heart rate down or just keep it feeling easy and not worry about it since it's just a short portion of my run, knowing the rest of the run is in that easy zone? Does it really matter? Um, whew, boy, Allie, this is, this is one of those questions that, um, you know, kind of, almost like, da- almost like Michael's question previously, where there's, there's, there's the, the, the easy answer that it probably doesn't matter. And then there's the nuanced question or the nuanced answer that like, it kind of, oh boy, here it comes. Get your drinks ready, everybody. It depends. It depends on who you talk to. Um, some folks are, are, you know, going to be really, hardcore, like never take your heart rate above the, e- the, the, whatever your easy zone is, whether it's your math, whether it's zone two, whatever, never, never push your heart rate outside of that zone period. And, and even for a short segment, like I understand why, because your body, you start to, to get too hard with your training. Um, your body starts working harder, which is why your heart rate comes up. Like you do start to have some, some physiological changes into how your body is responding and energy systems and yada, yada, yada. And some of the benefits, potentially all of the benefits of your aerobic training start to really diminish because now you're starting to train some anaerobically and your body doesn't like your body does both, but it kind of doesn't just shift back and forth. Like it's almost like, almost like in your car, right? Like let's back this up a little sec, uh, a second here. So like if you're in, in first or second gear in your car, if you, especially if you can think back to when like cars had, you know, manual transmissions, but even with your automatic transmission, right? Like when you when your car is in second gear and like, you can tell it's working pretty hard and then it, you shift it to third gear. Maybe you're going up a hill and it finally auto shifts or, or whatever. And it, and it drops down into third gear. Like all of a sudden it doesn't just like, even if your, your speed stays the same, even if you slow down a little bit at that point, it doesn't drop back into second gear, right? Like it kind of just, it's like in cruise and cruise third gear mode. And like our bodies slightly lumpy metaphor, but, but uh, you know, hopefully that helps to paint the picture a little bit. Our bodies kind of do the same thing. Like when we're training aerobically, which is what the heart rate training, easy training type of thing is, is supposed to promote. Once you kind of shift into a little bit more anaerobic glycolysis, anaerobic energy production by, by pushing the effort a little bit too hard, your body shifts and it doesn't necessarily just drop right back to, um, aerobic training. The second you drop back down, potentially not even for the rest of that run. All that said, I think there is something to be said of like, not panicking, right? Like, like not being so militant and so wedded to your heart rate that like, if it does tick up just a little bit, is it the end of the world? Like probably not. And maybe this is a a call to like, actually set your, your heart rate, zone a tick lower than it needs to be or, or potentially realizing and rationalizing that like, if you're, if you set your zone at whatever, we'll we'll just say at 140 beats per minute, is it exactly 140? Is it 142? Is it 143? Like we don't necessarily know. And that can be a slippery slope because you start go, well, maybe it's really 142. And what the hell now I'm at 143. Like whatever, it's fine. Now 144 is okay. And pretty soon you're up into, into the gray zone of one, 148, 152. And like, it's definitely too hard at that point. You're not getting the aerobic benefit. So all that to say, I don't think it's a bad idea to, to try to dial things back a little bit, whether that means walking up the hill, whether that means just uh, recognizing that you're going to slow down. And you're going to run slower. Maybe you're going to walk as well. Like, it's okay. Um, and then once you get to the top of the hill, get back at it. But at the same time, if it's just a couple seconds, you know, like if it really is just, you know, if it's if we're starting to, start to talk minutes, 
you know, maybe that's that 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 engine revving in your car and it finally downshifts and then that's then your cruise. But if it's just a few seconds here or there, maybe that's just the the engine revving at, at you know second gear, and then it you get over the hill and it, it you know the RPMs drop back down a little bit into a, into the, the comfortable you know second gear zone and you're fine. So you know I would I for me, and and I'm really talking myself into circles today, but for me, um, I try to keep my heart rate down even on the hills. If it goes above, I don't panic. I don't freak out, um, and I, and I trust that that the majority of the time we're where we need to be and we're good. But I also don't let it get up super high when I'm going up. Like I'm not like just let it let it skyrocket, right? So it's it's slippery. It's 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 not a black and white scenario. Um, personally, I've tried to be pretty strict, but at the same time, just full disclosure, it's January. You know, it was 30 degrees on my run this morning, like. I'm not looking at my watch every time it buzzes, right? Like, like it might, it might beep a little bit because the connection between my, my heart rate strap and my watch got compromised or hasn't really established itself yet, which sometimes happens when it's colder. Uh, maybe it's because I am going a little bit hard, you know, going up the hill. Maybe it's because I hit a mile marker. Like, I don't know, but I'm not pulling up my sleeve every, every time I feel a vibration on my watch just to check my heart rate, right? Like this is where I, I it's kind of one of those, like, like, I'm strict when I can see it. I'm strict. Like when I'm back to wearing t-shirts or, or no shirts, like I'll keep an eye on it a lot closer than I am now. Um, in part, because I don't want to slow down and walk because it's freaking 30 degrees outside and I need to keep generating that body heat. Right. So, so all that to say, like, yes, I'm strict about it, but I'm also not what I would consider like militant about it. Right. Um, and you kind of got to find what works best for you. Um, try to stay in that easy zone as much or always as possible. But if you come out of it a little bit, guess what? It's okay. It's okay. Not all hope is lost. Even if that maybe means that, you know, you're not getting as much benefit from that aerobic improvement that day, you know, but kind of like Michael's question again, you know, just because you didn't get eight out of 10 doesn't mean that six out of 10 isn't still a positive thing moving you forward, right? Like something better than nothing. So, um, stick with it, but don't, in my opinion, don't, you know, let it be all consuming. Like it works, but you're also human, right? So hopefully that makes sense, Allie. Uh, but keep up with the heart rate training work. It does work. It just takes a while. It takes a while. And the progress is slow, but the progress is steady, which is, which is good. It's a good thing, I think. Uh, but thank you for the question. Next from Rob, similar hill question involving heart rate. I'm preparing for a hilly marathon. Is sacrificing heart rate zone on a hill more mental training or more physical type of training? Um, not entirely sure I understand your question, Rob, in terms of we say sacrificing heart rate zone. Do you mean like like running slower to stay in the heart rate zone? Is that more mental training or, or physical training? Um, or sacrifice the heart rate zone to, to push beyond the heart rate? Um, is that more mental or tra- like I think I think both and I, I think I think no matter how you how you meant the question, I think running on hills is mental and physical, right? I think I think it is a both and. Even if you're keeping your heart rate down, if you're letting your heart rate spike. Um, it's a challenge to run uphill, right? Like, like it just is, um, it's a challenge physically. It's a challenge mentally. Um, and I think that the more we do it, the stronger we get both mentally and physically. Now I still think, and, and if, if you're committed to heart rate training and I don't know whether or not you are, Rob, I know we've had some, some conversations about it. But I can't remember how, how exactly co- committed you are. Um, 
But but I think that if you are committed to it, you're you're better off committing to it, even on the hills, especially in training. Like on race day, all bets are off. But on training, commit to it. Slow it down. Grind up. Maybe you walk some. Maybe you got to power hike a little bit. That's okay. Um, but if it just ticks a couple beats over and you're right at the top of the hill, I mean, yeah, whatever. That's fine. You know? Um, but one way or the other, you're training physically, you're training mentally for sure. Um, and maybe, maybe hills do that as, as well as just about anything else. I mean, the heat and humidity kind of does that too. Um, cold kind of does like, like any, anything outside of quote unquote ideal, you know, flat and ideal is going to be a mental training, training game. Um, a lot of times a physical training game as well. So, you know, you just lean into those hills. Um, and especially if you, if you know your race is going to be hilly, um, then, then yeah, you know, grinding up those hills, uh, is going to help strengthen the, the body and the mind and hopefully will help pay off for you on race day. So I don't know that that really answers your question, Rob, cause I don't, like I said, I'm not sure I completely understood your question, but hopefully between that and, and what Allie asked, um, you got some, some idea of, uh, how to keep preparing for this race, but good luck, my friend. Good to hear from you. I uh, hope your new year is off to a good start. Now, coming to us from South Dakota, Mr. Briggs, David asks, if you could be a guest on any podcast of your choosing, whose podcast would it be? Um, whew, I, man, that's, that is a question. Um, it probably wouldn't be a running podcast. Not that I have anything. I've been, I, I love being a guest on other running podcasts. I can just talk and talk about running. Um, and I have to do all the, the, the post work stuff. Right. Um, and so like, like I would, I would love to be a guest on like every running podcast. That'd be great. But like, I think it'd be fun to, you know, branch off a little bit more, you know, like, like we branch off sometimes here, we we do running life and everything in between. Um, but it'd be, it'd be fun to be on some other, other types of shows that, that are more, um, life and everything in between than, than, you know, maybe running is sprinkled in there. So, um, you know, off the top of my head, I, all right. So if I had to pick one, um, one of my favorite podcasts, the one that I always listen to on Monday morning, because the, the new episodes come out on Sunday night, um, is Drunk Ex Pastors. And like, I don't even know what we would talk about, but like, because like, not like I'm a I'm a I'm a pastor or an ex pastor for that matter. Um, but but kind of the tagline is like politics and religion and and something else, um, entertainment maybe. Um, and there's usually something that I feel like we could we could we could riff on, you know, that, that they're talking about um, that I'm kind of like responding back to while I'm running, listening to the to the conversation, right? Um, and they don't do a lot of guests. They have guests every so often. Um, but like, that would be a fun one in, in large part because, and, and maybe some of you feel like this, I don't know. Uh, but I've been listening to their show for, for probably four or five years, something like that. And like, I feel like I know them, right? Like, I feel like I'm buddy, buddy with them. Like, like, you know, I've been, you know, listening to them, but I've been with them vicariously through different phases of life and ups and downs and, and some of the things that they continue to talk about and, and go through. And they're very, very upfront and personal about, um, but like, they don't know me. But like, it would be fun to kind of like hang out with them, right? And chat. And maybe some of y'all feel like that with me. Like, like, like you've been listening for a while and you've, you know, you've been with me through, um, you know, races and, and through moves and, and all the different things. And like, you feel like you really know me, even though we've never actually chatted, um, which would be fun, right? Which would be fun. So, so I think, I think drunk X passes would probably be the one, um, but I'm honestly down with being on just about any podcast. Like if it's, if it's something I can talk about, like, like, you know, like there's, there's certain things I, I just couldn't do. Right. Like, like, um, a, a, a whatever, a, a woman's a woman's health podcast. I probably wouldn't be a good guest for. Right. But if it's anything entrepreneur, business, podcasting, um, running, of course, um, being a dad, any dad life podcast, things like that. Like I'm down for whatever, um, religion, faith down for that type of stuff. 
Uh, but I think Drunk X Pastors. If I if I had to pick one, that would be the one that's that's in my queue uh, that I listen to regularly. That I would love to to jump on and and just have 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 at it and see where it ended up. You know, an hour hour and a half, two hours later. Um, one more question from David. I see you are also trying to run the year. I'm not stalking you. I swear. Uh, that is also one of my New Year's resolutions. How many pairs of shoes do you personally think you'll go through this year to reach that goal? Um, oh man, I am not the person to ask this, David, because like, like it's it's a complicated. Should be a straightforward question. It's but the answer is complicated. Um, so like all things considered, like if I was buying shoes, how many pairs of shoes do I think I would need to run 2,023 miles? I mean, certainly no more than four. Probably three. Potentially two. Uh, I get a lot of life out of my shoes. Um, you know, your mileage may vary, pun somewhat intended. Uh, but I am not one of those, like, every 500 miles I have to change my shoes. I'm not, like, if, if I have to, if, if I get a pair of shoes and it only lasts 500 miles or less, I'm like, I am never buying these shoes again. Like, I ain't got time to be getting new shoes every 500 miles. Like, hell no. Like, I need a shoe that goes at least 650, 700 miles. Ideally, we start getting to like 800 miles per pair of shoes. And like now, now we're in my sweet spot of like, yeah, after 800 miles, like, okay, like probably should, should trade these ones in, you know, when there's, when there's literally no tread left, I'm like, yeah, all right, good to, you know, when I'm, when I'm slipping on, on wet asphalt, I'm like, yeah, these shoes probably need to go. Um, so, you know, and I, I think that I've got the right mix of shoes that like I could, I could do, I could definitely do it in three, um, potentially do it in two, but that might be pushing it a little bit. Um, but the complicating factor is that, and I haven't talked about this recently, but I'm still, I'm still reviewing shoes, uh, over at running shoes, I'm not, I am not the guru. I guess I'm, 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 a, uh, uh, wannabe guru. I'm an inspiring guru. Uh, Ruggiero is, is the, still the guru. Um, but I get, I get shoes to review. Um, and the, the way it works is Ruggiero, like, like he buys the shoes, and then sends them to, there's like 20 of us that review different shoes, right? And so he buys the shoes, sends them to us. We run in them for 50-ish miles, and then we write the review. But we get to keep the shoes. So like, how many shoes, how many pairs of shoes will I, will I use this year? I mean, it kind of depends on how many shoes I review this year, right? Like, like if, if I end up with, with six pairs of road shoes to review this year, then like, it'll be six pairs of shoes that I'll go through. If I end up with eight, it'll be eight. If I end up with five, it'll be five. Um, you know, I'll probably have a pair. Usually there's a pair that kind of bubbles to the surface of like, these are the ones I like. Maybe I'll get a pair that, that I don't like that much. Not so that it's a bad shoe, but it just isn't, isn't the right shoe for me. So I'll get my 50 miles in it and I'll be done with it. You know? So it, it depends. It depends. Um, but I'm not planning on buying any shoes this year. Hopefully I'll get enough shoes to review. Um... But again, if I was buying the shoes, I would budget for probably, I would budget for four pairs expecting to only use three. But, uh, yeah, that's, I, I recognize that I am not in the situation of many of you that would love to get bunches of shoes per year for free. Um, and I am very grateful that somehow I stumbled into being able to write, write for, uh, the running shoes guru website. Uh, and get some shoes for free as a result. So thanks for the question, David. And you said one last question, but then you lied. But I think you followed up with this one after you left the second question. So I guess we'll forgive you. Uh, one more question from David. If you have an extended period of time with no marathons on the schedule, but you're trying to stay in marathon shape, or I'm sorry, in half marathon shape, 
How often do you change your base mileage? Can you have a base training for, let's say, nine months in which your weekly mileage goes up, tapers, and back to building to the peak? An example is 35 is the low and goes up to 40 as the high. So, so yes, um, but but honestly, David, like like the way I view my own training, and really quite quite frankly, the way I view the, the training for anybody I work with that is kind of in that same scenario where they're, let's, let's stay in half marathon shape. Uh, but we're not really building. Maybe we're, we're mixing a little bit extra cross trainer. We're just, we're just building the base until the next, the next race comes along. However long that might be. Um, like it's all, it's all ish, right? So like, like 35 to 40 miles, like that's a perfect range. It's a perfect window. Like I, I'm not worried about, it has to be 35. And then, then we peak up, we, you know, we bump it up to 38 and then we bump it up to 40 and then we drop it back to 38 and back to 35. And then, you know, like, like 35 to 40. Good. Perfect. Sounds great. A week that, that, that everything falls into place and life is great and the weather is good and I can get to 40, 41, 42 miles. Awesome. And uh, to me, that means that I'm in that 35 to 40 mile range, even though, you know, yeah, 42. Okay, cool. Whatever. You know, in a week that, that maybe I'm not feeling good or, or the weather's just terrible. It was, it's, you know, wake up on Saturday morning and it's 37 degrees and it's downpouring rain. And I'm like, well, guess who is not doing a long run today? This guy. And so I, quote unquote, only end up with 31 miles or 29 miles. Yeah. All right. We're still, we're still in 35 to 40 range. Like it's still, still fine. Um, so that's, so that's how I view like in, in all those situations, like I'm still in half marathon shape, right? Like, like having a, a, a down week, an upper week, like a week where the long runs a little bit longer, a little bit like, as long as I'm running around, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15 miles for my long run and I'm being consistent during the week. Um, that's to me, that's, that's staying in half marathon shape. And you know, like every week I'm not running exactly 41 miles or 42 miles. Like sometimes it's 42, sometimes it's 46, sometimes it's 37. Um, but it's all kind of the same. It's all ish. Right. And that's, that's how I view it because, because I view it as a big picture. We're, we're worrying about base, base mileage here. That's it. That's close enough. It's, it's, that's ish. Um, so, so I guess, you know, that, that's what works for me. Now, if, if being more specific is what is what works better for you, uh, by all means, you know, yeah, 35 and peaking at 40 and back down at 30, like that's, that's fine. Uh, but to me, that's all the same, uh, in the way I look at it, S- certainly for myself. And quite honestly, with a lot of the folks I work with, it's like, yeah, you know, like, like I give, you know, here's let's, let's, let's peel back the, 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 the layers a little bit. Let's, let's show you how the sausage is made. So when I, when I write training plans for the people I work with, um, 99.9% of the time they don't get run five miles today. They get run four to six miles, run 45 to 60 minutes, which means that some days they're feeling great and they're going to hit that high end, maybe even go above it a little bit. Some days they're going to oversleep. They're going to be pressed for time. The, the, the dog is going to be sick or the kids are going to be sick, or there's going to be something, something in their life where like the lower end of the window is the best they can do. Some days they're not even going to get to four to six miles. It's going to be, dude, all I could get was two miles. Awesome. Great job getting your two miles in. Guess what? I've never, well, I don't want to say never. I don't think I've ever once said to anybody who checked in with me on a Wednesday, and was like, I'm sorry. All I could do was, was two miles yesterday. And I don't think I've ever said, all right, well, I need you to run an extra two miles tomorrow to make up for it. It don't matter. Okay, cool. You got your two miles in. I hope that whatever situation at work or at home or whatever has taken care of itself. Hope you can hope, hope the rest of the week goes smoothly. Right. And so that week we end up with 33 miles instead of 35. It's all good. 
It's all good because next week they're probably going to have that, that great day where they hit six every time and they end up with 42 miles. Awesome. And then we average them together and we're right at 37, right? So, so all that to say, um, you know, where I, where I'd be a little bit more exact for myself with Allie and Rob's question about my heart rate and trying to keep it in check on, on the Hills and things like that. When it comes to mileage, we are, we are, we are eyeballing it at best around here. Spoiler alert. We're eyeballing at best. Even when we're building to a race, like the, 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 the whole is bigger than the sum of its parts as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, and again, your mileage may vary. You might need to be more exact. That might work better for you. Uh, we all know I'm, I'm not exactly type A around here. So you type A people, um, you know, and I know who my type A people are because they're the ones that even though it says four to six, they hit six or 6.25 every day. They're like, we got I got to get the maximum. You know, you, you said this, I, it misses me. I just look at the high number. Um, but what they don't know or what they, maybe they figured out and what I'm about to tell them is that I, I, I see you, I know who you are. And I also then adjust your high number accordingly. So if I'm really like, you know, I'd love to be at four, but if you get to five or six, that's great. And I know you're going to be at six every time. If there's a time I'd like you to be only at four or five, I'm like, all right, well, let's do three to five today. You know who you are. I know who you are. But uh, thanks for the question, David. Hopefully that, that makes sense. And hopefully that helps you just kind of go with the flow a little bit easier when you're in that base building phase. Next question from Michelle. I've run 13 marathons and read lots of books and articles and listened to podcasts. What can a running coach offer someone who understands the ins and outs of training already, especially considering the coaching is remote and not in person? So very, very fair question, Michelle. And, and, um, I almost feel like this is like, like an application, like, like, and, and I'm probably reading into this and it's, it's fine and it's no big deal, but it's almost like, you're like, oh, I'm thinking about where, like maybe hiring you, but like, why, what, what would be, what would be the benefit for me? Um, and I think it's a fair question. And quite frankly, you know, as, as I've said many times in, in various places, I certainly say it on the website, like coaching is a want, not a need. And you sound like somebody who, who maybe wouldn't, I don't want to say wouldn't need cause nobody needs a coach, but like, like you're right. You, you understand a lot. You're not, you're not coming to the equation being like, I don't know how to train for a marathon. So can you help me? Right? Like you've been there, done that. You've studied, you've learned, you've done a lot of things. You, you, you're, you're not new to the sport. Um, not that I don't think I still couldn't help you. I still think I probably could, or any good coach probably could. Um, but, but you know, I don't think that it's, it's like, it's not the same. How do I want to say this? All right, let's, let's go metaphorical. Cause I, everybody knows I love metaphors, right? Um, if you're, if you're a chef, right. And you can make the fanciest foods and dishes and like do all the things. Some chefs. I'm going to assume maybe I'm speaking out of the, the wrong end of my, my body here, but I think some chefs like, are like, why would I go out to dinner? Why would I go to a restaurant when like, I've got all the tools, I've got all the fancy things. I know all the, 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 the techniques and like, I can make the meal at home, right? Like I can, I, I can cook for myself at home. What do I need to go to a restaurant for? And there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's some chefs that are like, I don't want to do all the bullshit. I just want to eat dinner. So I'm going to go to the restaurant. I'm going to order the food. And I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, just sit back, relax, and just enjoy the meal. And I think for, for some runners that, that have been experienced and have learned and read and, and studied and, and tried and erred and, and figured some things out on their own, I think that some of them are like, why would I pay somebody to do what I already kind of know how to do? Right. And I think that's fine. And, and I think there's nothing wrong with that, but I think there's some that are like, you know what? I just want to run. Like, I don't want to think about whether I should do a tempo run or a, a interval run. 
I don't want to think about whether I should do, um, you know, 16 miles this week or 18 miles this week, or does it matter? I don't know. Like they just want to be told what to do. Um, and then they go out and do it. Right. And so, so I think that that's, that's one way that somebody that maybe is in your situation could benefit from coaching is just to not have to do, not have to deal with the ins and outs. Like if you enjoy that, then by all means, keep on keeping on. Right. But if you don't want to do, do all that kind of nonsense, um, then, then maybe, maybe taking that part off your plate and just enjoying the meal, just enjoying the miles and building to the race and whatnot, then maybe that, that would be useful. Um, I think also, you know, like just, and, and this isn't an attack at you, Michelle, by any stretch, right? So don't, don't, please don't take it that way. But like, just because you've done all these things and you've, you've figured some things out, doesn't mean that what you're doing is absolutely best, right? Sometimes a different perspective, sometimes a different, a different angle of, of, of somebody that also maybe knows a few things and says, Hey, you know, what about you've been doing X, Y, Z, and it's clearly working, but have you ever thought about ABC? Like maybe that would be worth at least attempting, trying, maybe it would work better for you. Maybe it wouldn't. And, and maybe you don't want to poke the bear. Maybe you don't want to, 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 to potentially, you know, fix what isn't broken, but maybe you're like, maybe, maybe you kind of feel like you've been plateauing a little bit and, and maybe the solution isn't just more, more and harder, but maybe the solution is, well, what if, what if I get this, this other coach's opinion, right? What if I get this other person's perspective and maybe they, they offer something that, that isn't complete 180 of what I've been doing, but maybe it's a little, a little shift. And maybe that is what helps it click. So, so sometimes there's that, that different perspective. There's that, that different way of, of seeing things. Um, sometimes it's just an objective, objective person to bounce some ideas off of, right? You're like, oh, I've always done it this way, but like, are there any other options? Or maybe it's like, sometimes, sometimes this happens as well, where, you know, I've been working with somebody for a while and they're like, God, like I just, I just, whatever, whatever the, the struggle is. And then I look at things and go, well, you know, maybe, maybe what you think has been happening and what the numbers are showing are, are a little bit different, you know, like maybe you're overtrained, maybe you're undertrained, maybe you're actually running too hard when you're supposed to be running easy. And in the moment, it can be hard to sometimes see those things or be objective with ourselves, right? But having a, a little bit of a, a more detached view of things can sometimes help see things. So, so all that to say, I think there's a lot of benefits, potential benefits. I think there's a lot of things that, that even a veteran runner can get from having a coach. Um, but I think it kind of comes down to like, are you the type of chef that wants to cook for yourself or are you the type of chef that wants somebody to cook for you? You know, and, and neither is right. Neither is wrong across the board, but they're one of them's right for you. And one of them's wrong for you. Right. So, so, you know, whether you decided to, to do some coaching at some point with me or anybody else just kind of is like, are you the type of, of chef that wants to make your own meal? Or are you the type of chef that wants to, to go out and have it served to you and maybe even served in a different way than how you would make it. And actually you might find you enjoy that meal a little bit better. So hopefully that all makes sense, Michelle. And, and again, that wasn't me trying to pitch you or try to like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, come hire me. Um, just, just trying to answer your question and, and hopefully that gives you something to think about. And maybe then you go, yep, nope, I'm good. I like doing it myself. In which case, by all means, lady, keep on keeping on. And uh, of course, any questions, you know, just let me know. We've got, we've got another Q and a coming up a month from now. Happy to answer any questions there for sure. Um, or happy to answer a second question for you. Cause you've got another question on the list. Uh, question number two, like you, I hope to run 50 States, any particular marathon in different States that you've done that you highly recommend. So, um, I, I really haven't run any races that I would not recommend, right? Like every race that I've run in other States, I've enjoyed, 
you know, some better than others. Some, there are parts of it that were kind of meh, you know, the, the infamous, uh, cold spaghetti, uh, post-race food situation at seven bridges was not exactly the highlight, but the race itself was, I loved the race. I thought the race was great. I'd absolutely go back and run it again. Um, but you know, the, the, the two, the two that probably stand out the most that, that I really, really enjoyed. I enjoyed the Pocatello marathon in Pocatello, Idaho. Um, I enjoyed the Blue Ridge Marathon in Roanoke, Virginia. Um, both both small-ish field races, but not like tiny. Um, both great kind of post-race, you know, setup uh, as far as like kind of a party and everybody just kind of hanging out. Um, Pocatello, a little bit of a logistical headache, a lot of bus shuttling back and forth, which wasn't my my favorite situation, but like it was fine. Um, and it, it ran smoothly, but it's just kind of a, you know, an extra headache. Um, but I would absolutely go back and run those races again. Uh, also a special shout out to running with the bears out in Cal- California. Uh, I would run that race again, except that race has changed, uh, since I ran it, it, it is no longer running the same location. I believe they run it in the spring now instead of the fall. Um, uh, but it was like a small, it, it, it was when I ran it like a super small town, uh, like you parked in the cow field. Um, and that was where like the parking lot was, 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 you know, the, the Joe's cow pasture. Um, and then you just kind of ran and it was great. I loved it. And I would absolutely go back and do that race again. Um, but again, that the race experience that I had doesn't exist anymore, but it's, it's a great group. And, um, I'm sure that they're still doing a great race, even though it's a little bit different than it was before. Um, but, but, you know, in no other particular order, I mean, shout out to, uh, the Prairie Fire Marathon, that was a good race in, in Kansas. Uh, like I said, Seven Bridges in, um, um, where was that? It was in Chattanooga, so that's your Tennessee race. Big Beach in Alabama, loved, loved that race. That one's flat. If you're looking for a flat race, that's that's it. Um, Cannonball in North Carolina, Greensboro, that was that was, that was one that, that, again, it wasn't bad, but like uh, the second half of the race was super hilly, out in the sun. Like I blew up pretty hard in that race. So that one, that one is, is a tough pill for me to swallow just because it didn't go as well as I'd planned, but I don't think it's the race's fault. Um, Kiowa Island in South Carolina. That's another one I would definitely, that's another flat one for sure. Flat. Um, and that's, that's a good race. Um, and the beauty of running is there's lots of good races out there. So I, I mean, like I said, I'd go back and run any of those again. Problem is that wouldn't get me any closer to my 50 state goal. So kind of need to make sure I'm running some new states and trying out some new races. But if you haven't done those states yet, um, you know, highly recommend Pocatello, highly recommend Roanoke, um, or whatever, Blue Ridge, um, and stay tuned for other highly recommends, but that, that's not casting shit on any of the other races. Those races I still recommend as well. Um, but I can't highly recommend every race or I'm not highly recommending any race, right? Isn't that how that works? So thanks for the question, Michelle. Uh, next question, question from Miss Jennifer. How do you listen to podcasts or books and run at the same time? I'd either fall again or get hit by a car. Thankfully, not hit by a car again. We, we try to avoid that. Um, no way I can focus that much on that and my surroundings. Music sometimes, verbal audio, splat. So here's here's the truth on this, Jennifer. Um, I typically listen to podcasts, rarely listens to listen to books while I'm running. In large part because it's almost more of a white noise entertainment type of thing for me. Even though I'm still listening to some business and entrepreneur type of podcasts, some sometimes, um, most of the time, like it's kind of just background noise. Um, the entertainment, you know, like I listen to drunk ex pastors, like I love that one, 
But like Rebecca will listen to it and be like, oh, so what do you think about what so-and-so said on this, this episode? I'm like, I don't, I have no recollection. Like it's all in one ear and out the other for me, or it'll be some type of businessy something and I'll hear something that, that clicks. And then I just kind of think about that thing for the next 15 or 20 minutes while I'm running, um, and not worry as much about whatever else is going on. So, so it's, it's, I'm not like super laser focused on what I'm listening to while I'm running. Um, and then part of it, you know, and this is, you know, your mileage may vary and it's all location dependent. Um, but when I was running in Florida and when I'm running at the new place now in Georgia, like I don't leave the neighborhood and thankfully or unthankfully, depending on your perspective, like our neighborhood's big enough that I can get six miles in the neighborhood. Um, and I rarely get on the sidewalk. So I'm running on the road, which, which again, you know, may or may not be something that you're comfortable doing. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Um, but it's early enough that there's not that much car traffic. I'm aware of the cars. Um, and like, there's not that many trip and fall hazards on the road. But if you, if, you know, if you were to start to bring the, the sidewalk into play and all the ups and downs for the driveway and little cracks on the sidewalk and things like that. Um, I mean, that to me is going to increase the likelihood of me tripping and falling, whether I'm not, whether or not I'm listening to anything or not, you know, whether or not it's music versus audio or, you know, like, like verbal, um, you know, just the more tripping hazards you have, the more likely you are to trip on something. So, um, me and the dog are in the road for better or for worse. Um, probably not often as, as, you know, blinky as I should be, uh, or wearing as reflective gear as I should be. Um, but because it's, it's quiet roads and there's not that many cars, that's, it's a roll of the dice that, that I make every day again, good, bad, or otherwise, but that's how I stay upright that. And again, I'm not trying to listen for depth. Like if I'm listening to a, a book that I really want to like engage in and listen to and learn from, I'm not doing that while I'm running. Like I'm doing that, um, while I'm pulling weeds or while I'm making dinner or something where I can be a little bit more focused on, on what's going on, um, without having to stop and rewind a half a dozen times. But one way or the other, you do what you got to do to try to stay upright as much as possible, certainly to keep avoiding getting hit by a car. And uh, hopefully I'll continue to do the same with uh, my, my podcasts that I listen to while running. But thanks for the question, lady. And uh, congrats on a couple of really good races in the last couple few months. A couple of big PRs. Proud of you. Proud of you. Next, from my man Rick in uh, the land of 10,000 lakes, how do you keep a positive mindset following a goal race? Regardless of the results, I tend to kick myself for not finishing faster, pushing too hard, pushing too early, second-guessing a mid-race decision, yada, yada, yada. So, Rick, I get it. I get it. And uh, I can't remember how long you've been around. I know you've been around for a minute, um, but you've probably heard me, you know, talk about those damn four seconds, right? Like like before, my, my previous half-marathon PR was from 2015, I think. And I, I, I ran it. And for those that haven't heard the story, my God, you're about to get the story. Um, I ran this half marathon with a goal of, of a PR, which I think, I think at the time my, my PR was like 152 ish, something like that. Um, and I was like, I want, you know, I want a PR. I'd love to break 150. And like, if everything went perfect, maybe I could break 145 because it'd been a while since I'd really raced a hard half and I thought my fitness was good. And like, we're going to go for it. See what happens. Right. And so I finish and my official time was like 145.04, 145.05. And I mean, I beat myself up about those five seconds for like five years because at one point, like I stopped to pour water over my head. 
Um, you know, did I, did I walk too much while I was taking in fluids? Like granted it was in June in Florida. So like it was hot. Um, but like, you know, I, Oh, if I would have done this, if I wouldn't have done that, if I would have been a little bit tighter on this turn, if I wouldn't, uh, you know, whatever, all this BS. Right. Um, so I get it. I get it. I've been there and maybe it's with age. Maybe it's because I don't race hard as often anymore. Uh, maybe because I just kind of view it as all just like steps in the right direction. And, and yeah, sure. You know, sometimes it would be nice to, to have been a little bit faster or to push a little bit harder or to, to, you know, whatever, whatever thing that, that would be easy to second guess. Um, I'm just at a point now where I don't beat myself up that much. Um, and in part, probably if I'm honest, because I don't like race hard that much, you know, I, I raced, I, I raced a year ago. I ran a half with a goal of, of, um, finally breaking 145, and if everything went perfectly, uh, maybe breaking 140. And I went for it, and I ended up with like 139.52, 159, 139.53, something like that. So I broke the 140. So like, there wasn't anything I could really beat myself up about. Like a few seconds at that point, like I already was five minutes faster than like really what my 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 main goal was. Um, beat my A goal, like like, you know. Um, but if I would if I would have came in at, you know, 142. I don't know that I could say the same thing. Like I would have beat my 145 and been super happy with it, but like kind of pissed that I didn't somehow dig deeper or push harder or whatever. Maybe I pushed too early. Could I have done something better to knock another couple minutes? Like I get it. And I don't, I don't have a, a, a great way to avoid doing that. If you're that type of person that's motivated, driven by times and you know, like not that, not that you, you put all your worth on your time for a race, but like it matters to you. Right. Um, you're always going to wonder, well, what if, what if, and, and I don't know that there's a great way to avoid that. At least I haven't found one. Um, uh, but, but just trying to, to, to step back. And I've said this a few times too. Maybe this would help you too, Rick. Like, yes, you've got your goal and whether or not you hit your goal, like, could you have done it a little bit faster? Could you have not? Um, but like, if you can, if you can take that step back and say, well, how would my life have really changed if I ran, you know, 141 versus 139? in the half marathon. Like, yeah, I hit my goal. I got sub 140. Like, that's awesome. But like my dog doesn't love me any less. My, my wife and kid don't love me any, any more or any less, hopefully. Um, you know, like, like I'm not, I, I'm not getting a promotion at work because I ran 139 versus I'm missing it because I got, you know, 141. Like, like in the grand scheme of things for most of us, the results matter to us. And I'm not trying to diminish that, but they don't really change anything in the quote unquote real world right? Like, like hopefully your kids, your family, your work, your, your other hobbies, like all those things are still in place. And so maybe if you start feeling like kind of, you know, a little bit upset, a little bit hard on yourself, um, kind of lean into some of those other areas of your life and just kind of, hopefully that can help let, let it pass. Um, but it's tough. It's tough. There, there isn't a, a simple solution. Um, and, and, and I don't think that it's a bad thing, right? Like, like you can take it too far, you know, me beating myself up for five years, I mean, not really beating myself up, but also not being able to let it go for five years. Never mind that it was a seven minute PR, but I missed my A goal, my AA goal by four seconds, and I was pissed, right? Like, that probably wasn't ideal. Like, being a little bit frustrated about it, that's okay, but moving on, like, and maybe that's what it takes too. Maybe just sign up for another race. You know, I don't know. Uh, you got to find the, the right the right mix that works for you, but I, I get it. And, and, you know, like, Sometimes it, sometimes it is just get another race on the calendar, move forward, build off of what you just did, good, bad, or otherwise, and maybe that'll help. But uh, thanks for the question, Rick. Hope you're uh, staying warm up there in uh, Minnesota.
Another question from Michaela. I feel like I've asked you this before, but with your 50 races, 50 marathons, 50 states, would an altar count for you or does it have to be a road marathon? So I, maybe you've asked this before. Somebody's asked me this before. Uh, I waffle on it, quite frankly. I think, I think that, that ultimately I do want to run a road marathon in every state. But would I count an ultra? Would I count a 50K? I mean, probably. Um, like, like I feel like I would count it, but there'd be an asterisk. And then like, I'd, I'd want to, at some point, get back there and do it again. Right. Um, but that's just me, you know, and it's just me and my, my peculiarity, my, my nuance. Um, I, and, and so far I haven't had to cross that bridge. I haven't, I haven't been there. All the ultras I've run have been in Florida. Um, so, you know, clearly I've run marathon road marathons there as well. So like that, that hasn't been an issue yet. Um, will it be going forward? Maybe. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a firm, like, like I said, I think deep down, I want to do a road marathon in every state. Um, but like that's starting to split hairs that I don't know that I'm like, if push came to shove and I had an opportunity to go, you know, to wherever to run an an ultra, um, and I couldn't find a road marathon to do at the same, you know, the, the, around that same time frame, And I was there and there's this ultra and like, yeah, I'd probably do it. And then if I could circle back again at some point down the line, great. But if not, Hey, box ticked, I think, I think, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think it would count, but I, uh, I don't know that I'd be completely satisfied if that may, probably doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in my own head. And my own head is the one that like is supposedly on board with it. Um, but I think that's where I stand. But uh, thanks for the thanks for the second question. Now from Melody, only one question from Melody this week, th- this month. That's that's a rare rarefied air, and I probably am regretting saying this now because that means we're going to have fourteen Melody questions next month. Ugh, ugh. We'll get there. We'll get there. Melody, love you. Uh, question from Melody: How many marathons have you run? I don't know. Um, so I've run, I think 11 States, 10 States, something like that. I've uh, run Florida, you know, run Disney multiple times and run, uh, the, the celebration marathon once. So like maybe 15 official road marathons. Um, but then there was that year that I ran, you know, the S like I ran like four, five, six, seven S and G marathons. So like those, I guess count, um, five or six ultras, you know, the, the, the 50 case and then the 45 miler. Um, so I think, you know, like if you, if you total them all up 25, maybe 20, 25, something like that. Um, which, which is ridiculous that it's a, at a point where like, I don't know, but also kind of cool. Maybe that it's at a point that I don't know, probably something I should track a little bit closer, especially the S and G's. Cause they kind of like, like, I mean, what, what kind of are those? Um, I mean, they were marathons, right. But like they weren't races, but like. I mean, it's 26.2 is 26.2. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, ultras, you know, a couple of 50 K handful of 50 Ks and a 45 mile. So yeah, somewhere 25 ish, something like that. I think, you know, plus or minus a couple, but that's, that's probably about what the number is. Uh, thanks for the question, lady. Hope things are well. Hope your year is getting off to a good start. Oh, and then there's Lewis, 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 Lewis. Does how good are Kipchoge's chances at winning Boston this year? I'm going to ignore it. Well, I'm not going to ignore the rest. I'm going to, who do you think will win between both males and females this year? Uh, and then there's some more that is just nonsense. Elites don't care. Um, so back to the back to the, the question that's actually worth worth talking about today, Lewis. Love you, but uh, come on, man. Um, how good are Kipchoge's chances at, at winning Boston this year? I mean, good. 
like he's got like he's got to be the favorite, right? Like I don't know what the betting odds are. I don't know if they even do betting odds, but like he's got to be the favorite. Like got to be, got to be. Um, that said, like if if, if we could bet. You know, Kipchoge or the field, I'll take the field. I'll take the field all day. You know, when when Tiger Woods was winning the Masters, you could just count on it. Like, you, if you're betting and you're not, you're taking one person or or the field. Like, you take the field every time. You take the field. You know, there's so many things that can happen. He could weather conditions. He could catch a cramp. He could have some type of GI issues. Like, he could just not have his best day. He could be slowing down. Like, I don't know. There's so many. Like, he's the favorite. You know, I'm sure he's in my mind. Like. You know him versus anyone else, just straight up. Like, I mean, yeah, he's he's the guy. You know what? What are but him versus the field? What are his chances? I don't know. Twenty percent, fifteen percent, something like that, which is pretty damn. That's that's good odds. But I'll take the field. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sh- I, like, I'll, I'll be watching. I'll be tuned in. I'm sure he'll be up at the front of the pack. And if he is, you know, like. Like it'll be interesting to see it play out, because if he's up there at the front and they and you know there's however many guys there'll be there'll be eight guys or ten guys or four guys or whatever at you know fifteen sixteen miles, like he he's gonna have the psychological edge. Like everybody else is gonna be like, what do I have to do to beat him? Uh, but at, at what risk do I have of myself blowing up? Versus him just going like, I'm just gonna keep cruising, right? Like like there's nothing that anybody's gonna make a move that he's gonna be like, oh I can't do that, right? Um, so he's pr- like he he's the favorite. I'll still take the field. I'll still take the field. Speaking of the field, who do you think will win between both the females and the males? I don't know. Somebody, you know, somebody's going to win the males. Somebody's going to win the females. I'm going to watch it. I, I don't know. I don't know who. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Whatever. Um, but I, I'm excited to watch Kipchoge. Um, but I'll take the field because that's just the smart. That's the smart money. Let's take the field. Even if, you know, the odds are that he's going to win, which I think is probably the case. So thanks for the questions and sorry for ignoring all your other nonsense questions about elites and pros and blah, blah, blah. You know, you know, you know, you just ask those questions to get a rise out of me and I'm not going to answer them. So there you go. Cause I don't have an answer. There's the answer. Whatever the question was, I don't know. That's the answer. Moving on. Thanks for the questions, Lewis. Uh, Gordon, if someone who lives at sea level signs up for a race that's run at high elevation, say, you know, about 10,000 feet, is there anything special he can do to prepare for said elevation? Like, like, no, I mean, like, obviously you can run some hills, right? Like, uh, assuming that your race at, at 10,000 feet isn't going to be on a, on a plateau, um, you know, get some hill training, run some ups, run some downs, things like that. But in terms of like living at sea level and preparing for the atmosphere at 5,000 or, at, you know, 10,000 feet, um, there's not much you can do. Like, like, the, and, and to me, this is one of those where like, it is what it is, right? But here's, here's the, the caveat or here's the, the catch. The, the better trained you are, the better prepared you are physically going into a race like that, the better the race is going to go, right? So, so you can, you can have it in your head that like, oh God, I'm not going to be able to do this. And like, I'm not gonna be able to breathe and blah, 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 blah. And like, I'm not saying that it's going to be like the same as running at sea level. Cause it's clearly not right. But if you, if you get good mileage in good training, everything's kind of on track, your body's feeling good, rested and strength training. Like you tick all the boxes that you can possibly tick versus not ticking them like the tick boxes are going to be going to have an easier time getting through the race when the oxygen is not as plentiful as you might like it to be so you know i I feel like that's you know what can you special do to prepare for the race at at elevation nothing just prepare for the race 
like get get be as well trained, as fit, as healthy as you can be going into it. Um and then just and just accept that like you're probably going to have to back off. You're probably not going to you're probably going to struggle a little bit more when you're going to be like, "Well, god, why am I so, why am I so out of breath?" Because there's no no oxygen in the air. Right? Um but short of like going and living at elevation for three months, like, I mean, there's that, you could do that. Uh, but outside of that, like, I mean, no, you know, like there's not a whole lot you can do. And, and other than just, you know, roll with it. It's like showing up for a, a race on a hot day. Like if you're well, if you're well-trained, it's going to be less of an impact. than if you're not well-trained, right, you're going to be out there a little bit less longer, less longer, a lot. Like if you're well-trained, you're going to be able to finish a little bit quicker. Even if it's not as quick as you could finish the same distance at sea level, right? So, uh, be well-trained. That's one of those things that, that's an uncontrollable, right? You can't control the elevation other than you can choose not to run that race. Uh, but if you're gonna do the race, the elevation is going to be what it's going to be. Focus on what you can control your preparation, your training, maybe even having a, a, some mental, you know, some, some mantras or some mental training of like the oxygen is what it is. You know, I don't, I don't know what the right mantra would be for that, but like just even kind of convincing yourself that like, I can't control the, how much oxygen, uh, saturation is in the air around here. So I'm not going to let that get me, you know, I'm not gonna let that be a, a major, uh, factor, you know, or however, that's a terrible mantra, Gordon, but like something along those lines of just like kind of working through it a little bit before the race. So that on race day, when you're gasping for breath, it's not like, what, what the hell? Like, what could I have done? Like, you couldn't have done anything. Couldn't have done anything. All right. Um, uh, but good luck, good, good training. Um, and if you end up doing, doing the race, you know, just, just back it down a little bit. Um, but be well trained going into it, and that'll that'll solve a lot of the problem, right? So, thanks for the question, my friend. Michaela slipping and sliding in here with another question. Just the, you know, every every so often, I'll throw another question on there. I see, I see how you work. Uh, she says, I see so many coaches and runners starting to say slow down, but you still see the if it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you type of mantras. Do these work together, or does the old tough it out line need to go somewhere? So, um, I'm. I'm excited. I'm glad that so many more people are starting to, to promote this slow down thing. Like maybe I was, maybe I was at the start of that trend. I don't know. Um, but yeah, running, running easier, building your base, whatever you want to call it, heart rate training, zone two training. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's imperative, you know, and, and like, it just, it, it's, it's what you have to do. But I think that, that maybe if I'm reading your question somewhat correctly, although there is definitely still some of the, if you, if you're not hammering, if you're not working, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. But like, and I, like, yes, you still see that. I'm not trying to be dismissive of that. But just because you're running, quote unquote, easy, doesn't mean that it's not challenging you, right? Like, like, and, and somewhere in there, we, we've lost that, or maybe that was why we got away from kind of heart rate, running easy, um, you know, philosophies anyway, is that like, the more challenging it is, the more, po- the more it's going to change you. Well, yeah, the more your body has to adapt, but also the more likely that it breaks down. But just be like, like if, if your race pace, and I'm going to make up numbers here, but if your race pace is 10 minute pace, right? You run a half marathon in two hours and whatever, that'd be 10 minutes, something like that. Um, you know, go out there and run for, for two hours at 12 minute pace. And like, I bet you're still going to feel tired at the end, right? I bet you still might have some soreness the next day. Like there's still a challenge going, you're still challenging your body to be on your feet for two hours, for three hours, even though the, the, the intensity maybe wasn't as high as it could have been, there, there's still a challenge, which means that there's still a change. There's still an adaptation taking place. 
Also, when it comes to heart rate training, one thing that gets lost in the shuffle sometimes, as I, as I climb back up on my heart rate training soapbox here, just because you're running easy metabolically as your aerobic fitness improves, like it gets harder and harder. You, like your, your subjective impression of how hard you're working starts to change. What does that mean? So like maybe you start off with heart rate training and you're running 10 minute pace and you feel like you're just, you, you feel like you could be running eight minute pace, but like to keep your heart rate in the zone, you're running at 10 minute pace and it's, it's kind of slow and ugh, right. But if you stick with it, as you, as you begin to, 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 to improve your aerobic fitness, all of a sudden, like that same perceived level of effort that felt like it was a five out of 10 to keep your heart rate where it needs to be at 10 minute pace. Now that five out of 10 is at, at is it is still at maybe at 10 minute pace, but your heart rate is now 10 degrees or 10 degrees, 10 beats lower. So then you're like, well, let me ramp my heart rate up just a little bit more to kind of get up there a little bit closer to the limit. But now you're running at six and a half out of 10. You're, 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 you're subjectively, you're perceiving that you're running harder, but systemically you're still running at the same level. So yeah, it's, it's challenges you just not in the same way, not in the, I feel like my heart's going to burst and blow up and, and explode out of my chest type of way. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. So so yeah, I mean, in, in, in some ways, they're completely different mindsets of slow down, run easy. And if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. But at the same time, they're kind of the same thing because slowing down can be a challenge. And physiologically to your body, it is absolutely still a challenge. And as such, it's still changing you. It's still helping you move forward. It just, you know, maybe does so a little bit differently and also does it so in a way that minimizes, doesn't completely eliminate, but minimizes some of the risk of injury breakdown, things like that. So, so yeah, I mean, tough it out needs to go somewhere, but like, I'm glad that people are starting to come around to, to slow down, run easy. Um, and maybe as more people come around to it, more of the nuance will be explained and, and more people will be like, Oh yes, yes, I get it now. Then, then when the light bulb goes on, then, then we're off to the old proverbial races. But uh, thanks for the question, Michaela. Hopefully that made sense. It helps, to, hopefully it helps you and anybody else to kind of, you know, see that slowing down doesn't mean that it's not still challenging because it absolutely still is. So thanks for the questions, lady. Uh, next up, it is time once again for the Tom trifecta. First up from Mr. Rankin this, this month, what is the benefit of weight training for runners, especially for us folks over the age of 50? I actually do work out with a trainer three days per week, but would like to hear your thoughts on the subject. So, um, so many thoughts, Tom. Um, but I, th- I think I think you can take this in a few different ways. One of them, and maybe the most important reason, has nothing to do with running. Okay, um, and I don't know the stats, and I'm not going to try to make things up. But like, ask anybody who works at a hospital, ask anybody who works with with an aged population, and like the biggest. The worst thing that can happen to those folks is a fall and then a, like a broken hip, right? And 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 um, like like because then you're 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 uh, you know in in bed rest for a while as the healing takes place, and like the decline in health that that happens after somebody, it's after anybody that breaks a hip, but certainly like your odds of that start to go up as you get older, right? Like when that happens, it's 
I don't want to say it's game over, but like, ah, man, it's, it is not good. Strength training helps with that. It helps to build bone strength, helps to build sometimes balance, dexterity, helps to, to, to preserve muscle. Even if you're not building a bunch of extra muscle, helps to preserve muscle, which, oh, by the way, pretty good shock absorber. So if you fall and you've got a little bit of muscle on your hip, maybe you don't break your hip, right? Maybe you're able to stand back up. Maybe you're able to catch yourself before you fall. So just for like quality of life as, as we age, I mean, strength training is massive. And like, maybe you're not at that point where you're worried about that at, 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 you know, in your fifties, Tom, but also just physiologically, it's a lot harder to build strength, to build muscle. The older we get, our bodies slow down, hormone production, yada, yada, yada. Um, but we can maintain pretty decently, almost like, you know, when it comes to running fitness, like you can maintain running fitness a lot easier than you can build it at any point but especially, you know, the, the older we get. So if you can, if you can do the strength training now, build some strength now, build some more better coordination, better balance, all those types of things, and then keep it going, whether or not, you know, whenever you hang up your running spikes, if you ever hang up your running spikes, but keep the, the strength training as part of it, like it's going to just help day-to-day life, which you probably wouldn't be surprised to hear me say. That's also why it's great for us as runners at any age. Right, we're we're better, we're healthier overall, we're better fit overall, um, less likely to, you know, if we trip on the sidewalk while we're listening to the podcast, less likely to to really be injured, but maybe just bruised pride, bruised ego, scraped up palms. We can deal with that, you know, but a fractured something because you fell and you didn't have any strength, or maybe you weren't able to catch yourself, and so then that resulted in more of an injury than if you could have like, you know, you you done enough lunges that like you catch yourself and do up, oh, oh, woo, all right, good to go. Um, so so there's that that side of things. Um and again, I mean, just well-rounded fitness, I think, is, is massive. And I think that the more well-rounded we are fitness-wise, I think the better runners we are. Um, and, and you know, it doesn't mean that we're, we're doing max weights and, and doing, like, just, you know, trying to be all swole bodybuilders, right? But, like, functional fitness is massive. And running is good for that, but running is one angle for that. Strength is another. So I think, I think it's great. Um, I, and I think the most important thing, again, isn't necessarily just for us as runners. It's as humans who also run. We're going to benefit from strength training in our human lives, also in our running lives. You know, maybe you're going to have grandkids at some point and you want to be able to pick your grandkids up. You want to be able to get down to the floor and play with your grandkids and then stand back up without needing help, right? Uh, Strength training helps with that. Strength training, mobility work, those types of things help with that. And oh, by the way, maybe they also help you with running. So like, like to me, it's all about life stuff beyond running, but also, oh, by the way, it helps with running performance too. So kind of a win-win as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I'm glad that you're working with a trainer. I mean, you know what? And again, kind of going back to, to Heather's question, like maybe you don't need a trainer forever. Maybe you like to not have to think about what exercise to do, but you're doing it. And that's what's, that's what matters. That's what's important. Um, and I feel like Tom, in some of our conversations we've had that maybe you're also noticing that it's helping your running as well. So you kind of know it, you've seen it help you, but there's more of a general overview. It just helps. It's just good for your fitness, good for bone density just good for so many things as it relates to health and longevity um, that, that if you're already doing strength training, keep doing it. If you're not doing it, start doing it. No matter if you're 20, 40, 60, whatever strength training, good for you. Good for you. Second question from Tom as all of Western New York remains in mourning over the bills. How do you see the Lions season in retrospect? Oh man, it was a great, great season to be a Detroit lion uh, fan. In large part because, uh, obviously, you know, we didn't make the playoffs and like not still another year of not going to the Super Bowl, all, all, yada, yada, yada. I get it. 
Um, but I mean, you know, usually the season ends and like Lions fans are like, all right, well, who are we going to get in the draft this year? And like, maybe, you know, may, are we going to fire the coach? You're like, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like that's like usually the optimism of a Lions fan at the end of a season. This year, it's like, damn, I wish we could have had one more week. Like, like, like there's this, like this hope that, that doesn't spring eternal, but hope that actually springs this year that like next year could be a pretty good year. Um, and, and I'm trying to temper that, you know, because, because like, let's not kid ourselves like the NFL, I mean, all, all professional sports, but definitely the NFL. I mean, it is, it is one of the hardest, like each season is so different that like, who knows, who knows? I mean, what was the stat for a while where like, you know, teams that lost the Super Bowl like hardly ever made the playoffs the next year, like, you know, one out of 10 or something like that for like a, in a 10 year period. Um, but like teams that were in the, in the championship game the year before, couldn't even make the tournament the next year. Um, so there's no guarantee, you know, that Jared Goff's going to play as well as he played at the end of this year, or really for the whole season, uh, outside of a couple games that were stinker, stinkers. But, like, you know, it's, that's that's okay. That happens. Um, you know, there's no guarantee that, that some of the younger players will continue to, to make progress. Um, but, like, from where the season started to where the season ended, like, for the Lions, it was a win. It was a win. Um, and, you know, not something to be satisfied on, but something to be like, all right, that was that was good, solid progress. Uh, kind of like the direction that things are going. Uh, now we just need to build upon it. So, so you know, I think it left a lot of a lot of Lions fans as optimistic for next season as we've been in for ten years, for fifteen years, for a while, certainly. So, um, so yeah, you know, like like I'm sorry for your your bills, um, but you know, the Lions. The, there's plenty of room in the Lions bandwagon, Tom. If you want to, if you want to jump ship, you know, we'll welcome you over here. Um, some of us have been on the bandwagon for our whole lives, uh, so we might be a little bit uh, stodgy towards the people that are just jumping on now. But we'll welcome you, uh, and, and uh, you know, hopefully, it's going to be a good good ride for the next four, five, six years. Uh, maybe even getting to the Super Bowl for the first. We don't even need to win the Super Bowl. I mean, we'd love to, but just like let's just get to the Super Bowl. Like, you know, that's that's progress. So we'll see. Um, but, uh, sorry to Bill's mafia out there, but I guess, you know, congratulations to the who day mafia. You know, I'm, we got, we gotta be, we gotta be friendly here to, to our Bengals fans, uh, Tom, um, or gracious at least. And I don't have a dog in that fight. So whatever. Um, anyway, next question. Final question from Tom. I've re- recently watched a YouTube video where the host purchased the cheapest pair of running shoes on Amazon, about a dollar 50 for the pair plus shipping. The host reported the shoes were terrible and advised viewers not to run in them. The brand was some off, off, off market brand, knowing that you are Mr. Frugal. Where is the intersection of price and usability for you when it comes to running shoes? How cheap is too cheap? So, you know, as, as I already kind of said earlier, I haven't, I haven't bought, I think I bought one pair of running shoes. I don't even know if I bought a pair of running shoes. I couldn't tell you the last time. Um, like I bought Rebecca shoes. Uh, maybe I bought a pair for myself. Maybe I can't, can't quite remember. Um, but it's been a while since I've had to like really be like, all right, well, I need to buy a bunch of pairs of shoes and like, God, they, like, but they're expensive. Um, that said, like, I wouldn't be the guy that's like, what's the cheapest, like, I want shoes that work, right? Like I want shoes that I know that I can, I can trust, um, which aren't exactly ultras anymore, but I still want a shoe that's like foot shaped in the toe box as little drop as possible. Um, and like, so I'm looking for that over price tag. Now, you know, if I could find a pair that's a hundred dollars versus a pair that's, that's $180, like oh, I'm gonna take the hundred dollar pair for sure. Um, but you know, like, like, I don't know what my, my price point is. I don't know how cheap is too cheap. 
Um, but like of all the things I might skimp on as much as I run and as, as much as I value, like trying to stay relatively injury free, um, I am not in a race to the bottom of the barrel for the cheapest running shoes that I can possibly find. Like I want, I want, I want a good balance or a good, a good, um, like a good value. Sure. But I need, I need the quality to be there. So I don't know what the lowest price is. You know, if I, if I can find shoes for a hundred dollars or less, like I'm usually like, yeah, but again, like I'm not buying many shoes these days. So like there's that too. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how, how to exactly answer your question, but like the, the quality has to be there and I'm, I'm okay with investing, you know, I view it as an investment, right? Going back to that quick tip from a couple weeks ago, like that's an investment in my health. It's an investment in my running. It's an investment in my mental health. It's an investment, it's an investment in my future health. You know, my, my health as I get older, uh, to stay healthy and active now. And so for that, you know, am I going to, am I going to split hairs between $95 for a questionable pair of shoes or $75 for a questionable pair of shoes and a hundred dollars or $120 for a pair of shoes that I can trust that will last because I don't want a pair of shoes that I don't want to buy three pairs of shoes. I want to buy one pair of shoes. Um, I'll spend a little more for it and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. It's all about investing, Tom, all about investing. Uh, but thank you for the questions this month as always my friend. And, uh, hopefully next year will be a lion's bills, super bowl, but I won't be rooting for the bills in that situation. Obviously. Uh, next question from Jamie. Have you ever run the great, the, not the great, although maybe it's great. I don't know. Have you ever run the gate river run in Jacksonville? I know huge races are no longer your cup of tea. Make an argument, Jamie. They were never my cup of tea, but that's another conversation for another, another day, but it does fill the 15 K slot, which is a great distance and not always easy to find. You're right about that. I mean, I don't know how many 15 Ks are, are out there, uh, but there's not many. And I have heard lots of good things about the gate river run. Never run it. Yes. I know that's a lot of people definitely not my, my jam. It's not on my like must do list. Um, but I mean, like I would, I would be up for it, I guess. Um, but then it, like, here's, here's the calculus that starts to play out in my mind. Right. So like, like if I lived real close, yeah, okay. Maybe, um, if I happen to be in Jacksonville at that time, okay, maybe. Um, but like, am I going to drive four hours to run a 15 K? Like probably not. Like, I don't know that I would drive four hours to run a half marathon. Um, I would run four hours for a marathon, maybe not in Florida. Like, I'm not going to drive to Jacksonville to run Donna, not because anything bad about the Donna race, but like, I've run marathons in Florida. Like, okay, you know? Um, So that's that's where the calculus starts to come into into it for me now. Maybe it's some frugality, I don't know. But it's like, if I'm going to run a race that's not longer than like marathon distance, it needs to be close by. Um, or it needs to be so, again, something I'm traveling to for a vacation There's a race. Okay. We'll jump in. That sounds, that sounds fun. Um, but a 15 K to do a 15 K that's going to be a four plus hour drive. Ooh. Yeah. Um, even if it was not a huge race, that would be a hard sell. Um, but again, to each their own and, and I've heard nothing but good things about it. So maybe, but man, it's going to be, it's going to be, you're going to have to work hard to convince me to come down to, uh, to Jacksonville for, for a nine, 9.3 mile race. Um, when I could just, you know, run twice as far and still have be home for breakfast before I could even get to Jacksonville. If I just ran, you know, my, my local long run around here. So there's that, uh, but thanks for the question, Jamie. And, and if you are running, uh, the, the race, this, if it, if it had, whatever it is, I uh, hope you have a good race or a good racing season or whatever race is on, on next on your, on your agenda. 
Uh, but thanks for the question, lady. Uh, next, how many more do we have here? We got, we got, we're getting close. We're getting close. Maybe, maybe eight more questions. Goodness, I didn't think this was going to be a two-hour episode, but we're kind of staring down the barrel at two hours. So we'll see. We'll see. Next question from Heather. Uh, so we know from prior Q and A's that you don't care about the elites. Have I made it that obvious? Have I made it clear that I don't care about? The- okay, I, I guess I have. All right. Yet, yet for some reason, Lewis keeps answering, asking the questions. So you know, we we got to keep driving that point home. Anyway, what runners do you follow, care about, look up to, etc., and why? Um, I mean, th- this might sound somewhat of a of a cliched answer, um, or or maybe like it's it's the 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 politically correct answer or whatever. Um, but like, I definitely care about and definitely follow closely. Um, you know, the people I coach, right? Like they've invested in me. They're they're paying me. Um, so I'm, I'm, I care about them. I follow them. Like I'm, I'm you know, and, and obviously like, like it's part of the job, right? So like, I, I obviously have to, um, but like those folks I care about folks that have left coaching for whatever reason, I still tend to follow them a little more closely on Strava or, you know, kind of, Oh, you know, so I haven't, I haven't seen so-and-so pop up for a while. Let me, let me check on, on, let me check their social media, kind of see what they're up to. Um, because, because there's that connection, right? Like, like a lot of times, especially the folks I've had the privilege of working with for, for an extended period of time. Like, yes, it's, it's coach athlete, coach client, however you want to call it. Um, but it's also like human, human friend, friend, right? Like, like some of these folks, a lot of, a lot of folks I've coached, uh, over the years, I've had a chance to like, we've either run races together or when, of course, when we lived in Florida, people ran Disney. I'd a lot, a lot of times go see them there. Um, you know, I've met, met a lot of folks in person, not everybody, not as many people as I'd like, I'd like to, of course, but like, like there's, there's, Point being, like, there's there's a lot more to it than just like splits and mileage and stuff, right? Like, I know I know their family situation, I know their work situation, like, like you know, just because it comes up over the course of conversations, you know, over months and years, and so like like there is a, a level of friendship there that like I care I care about them as runners. Um, they inspire me, you know, whether they're faster, slower, run farther, run not as long, whatever. Um, so like those folks for sure. Uh, but then, you know, it's people that have been on the podcast that I've like people that I guess I've kind of gotten to know some, to some level, whether it's, it's on the podcast, whether it's in the, in the Facebook group, um, like those are the people that I, that I care about, um, that, that I, that I, that I follow maybe that I look up to. Cause I'm like, damn, how did, how did so-and-so do X, Y, and Z when like, you know, she's got this going on and she's got that going on and he's got this going on and, and like the family dynamic, like, like, and I'm, I'm complaining about how I don't have time to do, to do this, that, and the other. And like, We've only got one kid or there's, you know, there's Rebecca and I, and we, we like, we, we, sh- we split things. And like, this person's a single parent, like, like that, the kind of, kind of stuff that like, that I can sort of relate to, um, that, that I can, that I can more easily put myself in this person's shoes and be like, well, damn, like that sucks. And like, that's hard. And, and, um, see myself in their scenario that like, I care about, you know? And, and again, it's people that I, that I, that I know, whether it's virtually or, or, or IRL or both. Um, those are the people that, that I definitely care about, look at, uh, you know, follow along with, um, because, because it's more than just like, you know, some elite that, and, and I don't mean, I, I mean, I say that dismissively, but like, like I know that they're people and that they've got friends and they've got challenges, they've got struggles, but like their job is to run. And like, that kind of sucks because like my job is running, but my job isn't to run. Like running is a joy running is fun. Like I can have a bad race and like, it sucks, but like, I, I didn't lose money. 
other than the cost of the admission. But like, you know, like if, if you're you're trying to win a race and then you don't win, like maybe you lose a sponsorship. Maybe you have to go get a real job because of that. Like that sucks. Like that pressure sucks. But like I can't relate to that pressure. You know, like like so so yeah, I don't care that much about the elites. Um I care about, you know, you and, and people like you, Heather, and, and, and folks that whether I work with, whether you just ask questions regularly, you see in the Facebook group, um, or on other social medias or whatever, like, like to me, like, again, I know the elites are real people, but like y'all are real people. Right. And like, and that's just, that's just where I'm drawn more. I think, uh, at this point in my life. So hopefully somewhere in there that made sense and didn't sound like too much of the politically correct answer. Cause it's, it's the, the honest answer quite, quite frankly. Um, next from Kelly, couple questions from Kelly. Any real advantages to strides over surges or vice versa? So this is this is one of those questions where I, I struggle a little bit, where it, where it frustrates me a little bit. Not not that you asked the question, Kelly, certainly not. But like I feel like in coaching circles and running circles, like people talk about strides, but it doesn't like there's not a firm definition of what strides are. Like I view like strides are surges, right? Where like like and when I coach somebody, and I think you've seen this on your plans before, Kelly. Like, Hey, do some, do some strides. And like, what I say strides are other coaches are like, yeah, that's not strides. So to, so to me, strides are just something that you mix in during an easy run. You know, whether it's, it's a couple times a week, once a week, every so often where you're like, you're, you're cruising along and then you're like, all right, let's, let's push the pace a little bit. Not an all out sprint, not anything where you're just hammering, but like, let's, let's crank it up for 15 seconds, 20 seconds. Um, and then decelerate over the course of five or eight seconds and then settle back into easy pace and just cruise right along. Some people, it's like something that you do at the end of a run. So you run easy and then you do some, some kind of the same type of thing, little 20 second bursts, but like they're at the end of the run, their own separate component. Like I'm like, yeah, just mix it in, make it, make it, make it part of your run. Um, I don't, I don't know to me from those two definitions, and I'm sure there's a half a dozen other definitions out there, but to me, like, all right, it's it's six and one half dozen of the other, like, like, eh. you know, like strides aren't going to be a real, aren't going to be intense enough to, in my mind, qualify as a quote unquote standalone hard workout, right? Even if, even if you push a little bit, like they're so short in duration, by the time your heart rate monitor catches up, you're already slowing down. Like they're just part of an easy run. Maybe not something I do every day. And if you watch my Instagram, it's not something I do very often, but, uh, you know, when I'm going to get back into those, hopefully sometime soon, you know, once a week, a couple times a week, got it, you know, running four or five times a week, like, okay, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any, any, I don't see a differentiator between strides and surges. And I certainly don't see, um, any real pros or cons of one. Like they're the same, they're the same thing, right? Like, like, you know, what, what are the advantages of eating a red delicious over eating a, a golden delicious? Other than the fact that a golden delicious is a thousand times more delicious than a red delicious, but you know, they're both apples, right? Like some people would rather do the strides as part of their, their, uh, easy run. Some people would rather save it to the end. Um, I know some people will do strides like on a grassy field. They'll take their shoes off and run, run them barefoot. That's okay. You're probably not going to do that in the middle of a run. Right. So like, you know, it's, it's, you know, do you like, do you like peanut butter on your apple? Do you like a little caramel dipping sauce? You know, do you like it stewed? Do you, do you like it, you know, cooked down? Do you like, you know, a, a cosmic crisp or a honey crisp or a golden delicious? Like they're all apples, right? They're all, they're all basically the same thing. Little subtle nuance. Um, but you know, going back to Michael's question again, the, the strides of the surges that you do are better than the strides of the surges that you don't do. So, you know, do them better done than not. Um, but don't overthink it is my point of view. 
Now, other coaches may tell you otherwise, but you asked me, so there's my answer. Another question from Kelly. Have you visited your local running store yet? Maybe to get some nice, warm running pants. I have not. Still on my list of things to do, um, except I don't think we have a, a running store here in Evans, which means I have to go to Augusta, which means that, you know, it's 20 minutes away instead of 10 minutes away. And, ugh, ugh, first world problems. Uh, I'm going to get over there at some point for sure. Probably not to get any nice, warm running pants. I already have some running pants that I don't wear very often anyway. Like, you know, 30 degrees, we're still wearing shorts. Um, so thankfully we haven't had, I, I think I've worn my running pants a couple times this winter. Um, but honestly, like if I got to the point where I needed warmer running pants, we're just not going to run that day. Um, but I definitely need to get over there. Just check them out. Say hi. Um, find out where they are, you know, see what, what kind of things are going on in the, in the local scene. Even if it's Augusta, um, you know, kind of get a, get a clue for what's going on in the running scene. Um, never know. Never know. Maybe, maybe, you know, take my, my gear, do a, do a podcast recording while I'm there. Um, but yeah, need to, need to get over there for sure. That's, that's on the list. Um, and then last question from Kelly how has the running laundry situation changed since moving? I mean, it hasn't. Although it's maybe it's better because I'm not sweating as much. You know, like like since about September, October. Like, you know, I might sweat a little bit during a run, but it's not like I'm, I'm finishing every run just drenched. Um, but we're still, you know, not doing laundry more than... Certainly, certainly getting a full week's worth of wear out of every pair of shorts before we launder them. I mean, at minimum. Maybe getting closer to two weeks now that we're not really sweating at all. Um, so maybe that, maybe that means the situation has improved. I don't know. You, I guess it, it depends on, uh, what, you know, what would be an improved running situation? Are we doing more laundry? No. Is that a bad thing? I mean, maybe not. I don't know. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't, it doesn't offend your sense of smell because I don't think I'm smelling enough to send my stench to Indiana. So you're welcome. And Rebecca hasn't said we need to do more laundry. So I guess, I guess we're good to go. I guess we're good to go. But thanks for the questions, Kelly. Hope things are well. Hope your new year is off to a good start. All right. We got a few more. We got uh, the obligatory hat trick from Gary Joe. Uh, first question from Gary Joe. Here we go. First, ra- first one, post-race fueling. How long to wait? Things to try and get. Quote, unquote, it depends is acceptable. And I'll be the reason somebody winds up blackout drunk from the Diz Runs drinking game. So... I mean, yes, you kind of answered your question that it, that it does kind of depend. Sorry, drink, you know, whatever, the whole nine yards. Um, but here's the thing. When it comes to post-race fueling, some people are like, you got to eat within 30 minutes. You got to eat in this window. Like, come on, man. Like, you know, when we were chasing antelope across the Serengeti, like, you know, if we didn't, if we didn't dive in and eat the raw liver within the first 30 minutes, like, like our people still, like, we're still, we're here today. So clearly we still survived, right? Um, I, I think I think this is one of those where like trust trust your body, right? Trust what your body's telling you. If if you're hungry right after you finish running, eat something. If the last thing that that is appealing to you is digging into you know some breakfast or some lunch or whatever, like if if you are not hungry at all when you finish a race, then like don't eat. You know, like like our body our bodies are so complicated so complex, so amazing that like to think that if we don't eat, you know, 200 calories, that's roughly 80% carbs and 20% protein within 30 minutes after finishing a race that like, we are going to, we are going to go to hell in a handbasket and we are going to completely fall apart is absurd. As far as I'm concerned, if you think that way, 
and eating right after your race and having your protein shake and like if that works for you, great. But like newsflash, I don't do that. And I'm still here. I'm still here. You know? Um, so just go with, go with what your body is telling you. If you're, if you're hungry, eat, if you finish a race this week and you're like, damn, I could eat a house. Well, go, go, go to freaking waffle house and, and do some work. Right. If you finish a race two months from now and you're like, like same distance, you run about the same time. You're like, I am not hungry at all. Then don't go to waffle house. Like it's really that simple as far as I'm concerned. And yet somehow we as humans have found a way to overcomplicate something as simple as if, if you're hungry, eat. And if you're not hungry, don't eat. Like it's really that simple or not, you know, whatever you do, you, it depends. But for me, like that's like pretty straightforward, pretty straightforward. Uh, second question in run fueling, how often miles versus time is the recommendation? Again, it depends work works and somebody is going to get trashed. So y'all that are, y'all that are there, you know, lining, lining them up and shooting them down. You can, you can thank Gary Joe for this. Cause it is another question where it depends is, is a good answer. And this is actually something that we're going to, we're going to talk about a little bit more in another week or two, um, about my belief, which is not founded on any type of scientific research, but my belief that more runners suffer from overfueling during a race than from underfueling during a race. And I think, I think I've got some people that, that, that are bought in on that, that also agree with me. Um, but how often, you know, should you fuel during a race? Like it depends is definitely the answer. And, and to, to make it a little more specific, the, the least amount possible, um, or, or, well, maybe not, maybe not the least amount you want to fuel as little as necessary, but how much is necessary? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It, it depends on the person, depends on the distance, depends on your training. Um, it depends on a lot of things. Shot, 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 uh, everybody. So, you know, keep like kind of keep notes on how you're feeling, kind of keep notes on, on what works for you during training in terms of how much fuel you need and when. And, um, I think, I think where people can really get in trouble though, to kind of be a little bit more serious about answering your question, Gary Joe, like in training, you know, everybody says, you know, don't, don't try something new on race day. Right. So you, you train and you go for your long run and you're like, all right, well, I had, I had a gel or I had whatever fuel, um, you know, I had X amount every, you know, four miles just to, to make up a number. Well, like in training, you might be running your, your, your easy run, your, your long run at, at whatever, at 10 minute pace. So every, every four miles, every 40 minutes, right. Or every 45 minutes, something like that. Pretty easy peasy. Well, what about on race day? When you're running eight thirty pace, when you run an eight minute pace, make the numbers a little bit easier. And now you need now Now do you still need to fuel every four miles? Maybe, but also that means that over the course of a marathon, maybe you go from, from five fuelings to six, which maybe doesn't sound like much, but if it, you know, if you start to get in that overfueling territory, you start to get a little bit queasy. You start to, things start to, uh, feel like they need to escape. If you will, like you probably could have gotten away with a little bit less fueling, which spoiler alert, that's what we're gonna be talking about in a couple weeks. So, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it depends, but like, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't fuel. I wouldn't, I wouldn't base your fueling on mileage because pace is going to influence that, you know, you might be slower. You might be, might be faster. You might be, be cruising along better than expected, you know, whatever. And so like, like, I think time 
is probably the way to do it. And you might have a key, you know, keep a loose ballpark and like, you know what, every, every hour. So probably, you know, somewhere between mile five and mile seven, like, okay. But like worry more about, you know, in that, in that window, maybe you, you try to figure out, all right, well, where is the a water stop in here that I can suck down this gel and take a splash of water and it's all right there. And maybe it's at, you know, mile six, maybe it's at six and a half, whatever, but it's about an hour, you know, and then an hour from now, and an hour from now. Like, I think, I think time is a better determinant, but I think that less is in most cases more, which, uh, there's, there's your final tease. We'll talk about that more in uh, another week or two. Last question from Gary Joe, utter foolishness. What would possess someone to eat ice cream with a fork of which, what is Diz's go-to ice cream flavor or flavors? So a little backstory that you don't really care about probably, but there was, there, you know, there, there was a, one of the Lions coaches was maybe going to get hired as a, you know, from an assistant coach to a head coach and another team. And us Lions fans, you know, we, we, we do what it takes to try to support our team, right? And so somebody had, had started this, this thread on Reddit about all the this terrible things that this coach does that should disqualify him from being a head coach for another team and we'll just keep him. You know, we're, we're, he's a charity case basically. Like, like the lions are winning in spite of this guy, not because of this guy. So you don't want, you don't want him as, as your head coach. And one of the things was that he eats his ice cream with a fork, which just had me rolling. Like, that's just, that's just funny right there. Cause who eats ice cream with a fork that said, there is a time and a place to eat your ice cream with a fork. Now, before, before you freak out, Gary, Joe, here's, here's my query back to you. If you've got, you know, pie a la mode, brownie a la mode, you've got, you've got this ice cream on top of this hot brownie, this hot apple pie. I mean, I'm not saying that you can't eat the, the brownie combo with a spoon or the pie combo, pie ice cream combo with a spoon, because you can. But I'm also not saying you can't eat that with a fork, right? Like, like that's, that's, you know, slippery slope, but you can have, you can take a little bit of ice cream and put it on a little bit of your brownie and, and eat it all up with a fork. And like, that's okay. Maybe not ideal, but it's okay. Now just a bowl of ice cream. Yeah. I mean, that's a spoon all day, uh, all day, twice on Sunday. No, no question about that. Um, but so, th- so there is maybe a nuanced time where eating ice cream with the fork is, is allowable, but not if you're Ben Johnson and not if you're the, the Lions offensive court, like the guy, the guy is not that great. We'll, we'll just keep him. You know, we'll, we'll save the rest of the NFL. We'll, we'll keep him on our team. Uh, but my favorite ice cream, like, I mean, you know, there's, there's not very many not good ice creams, you know, and there's a time and a place for just about any ice cream. Um, but it, you know, if I got to pick like mint chocolate chip is usually like first on the list or like mint, in, like sometimes there's like a mint cookies and cream or like a mint moose tracks. Like give me mint with chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, we're like we're we're cooking with gas there. Um, you know, coffee ice cream is good. You know, moose tracks in general, like just vanilla moose tracks, that's good. Um, you know, and the moose tracks, of course, has some of that chocolate peanut butter situation, which which maybe I'm on record as saying like that is like the the heavens heavens you know treats sent down from on high is is you know the chocolate uh, peanut butter combo. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, like of, of your, kind of your classic flavors, like mint chocolate chip. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the answer, um, for sure. Um, but like the only thing I'm really going to be like, eh, no thanks on is like straight up chocolate. Like not that it's bad, but like we can do better than straight up chocolate. Can't we? Like we can, like, you know, even like something like the chocolate that's got something in it, still not great, but like, at least there's something like there's no, there's no really no excuse for just straight chocolate. 
Like straight vanilla by itself, eh. But like, get that brownie, got that apple pie. Well, all right, now now we're you know got that cobbler. Yeah, we're we're now we're now we are somewhere. You're not putting chocolate on peach cobbler, right? If you are, if you are, you, you you're also eating your chocolate ice cream with a, with a fork. So get on out of here. Um, but yeah, so somewhere in there, mint chocolate chip is the answer. Uh, thanks for the questions, Gary Joe. As always. Two questions left. Two questions left. First one from Barb. If you have two races one month apart and neither are goal specific and you're toying with the idea of running one of them as a marathon and one as a half, would it be preferable to run the first one as a marathon, second one as a half, or would it be better to run the first as a half and run the second as a full one full one month later? Either way, how would you train in the month between the two? So if I understand the question, Barb, I don't think it matters, really. Like, on the surface, I don't think it matters. Um, you know, if you're going to do one full, one half, neither of them are goal races, neither of them are races that you're really, like, hammering, um, I don't think the order really matters that much. That said, from a training perspective, kind of feels like it would be easier to train up, to be training for the full, running the full as a second race and using the half as, as part of a long run, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe that day you, you end up doing, you know, three miles to the race or five miles to the race. And then you run your, your half, you know, you end up with, with 16, 18, 19 miles for the day. Um, and use that as a training run to build towards, you know, being ready for the, the full marathon a few weeks away. Um, but could you run the full, and then kind of recover from that. And, and, and since you're not racing it and assuming that you trained well for it, you know, recovery coming out of a, of, you know, a full is still a thing, but like, you know, in theory, wouldn't take that long to be feeling pretty well like yourself again. And then you could, you, you know, you could, you could train a little bit between the two races, but like, you know, just kind of normal base, base training. And then you just go out and cruise for the half marathon, you know, a couple of weeks later, like, like that makes sense too. So like, I guess it kind of, to me, it's like, you know, where does it make more sense to put the marathon in terms of your life and training for it? If you can be ready to go for the marathon first, then like, you don't even really have to train at all for the, the half. Just, you know, get back on track a week or two after the marathon, work the kinks out. Good to go to cruise for a 13.1. If you're a little crunched for time to get ready for the, the marathon first, then put the marathon second, use the half as part of your training, bada boom, bada bam. Um, but as far as, you know, training between the two, I mean, again, like, if you're building it towards the, the half, uh, I'm sorry, towards the full being the second race, then you're just going to continue to build. Uh, and if you're building towards the, the, the full first and the, the half second, well then it's just, you know, it's kind of easy, easy training after that. Just, just to maintain, you know, feeling good and then good to go. So don't overthink it. I don't think you can go wrong either way. It's just kind of which, which makes the most sense in terms of getting ready for the full, you know, how do, how do you make sure that you're ready for the full, intermixed with wherever the half comes either before or afterwards, but, uh, good luck and have, have, have fun with your, with your races whenever they, they shake out to be last, but not least Kevin asks in your observation as a coach or just being around a lot of runners in general, do you sometimes see a more sudden drop off of performance in older runners? I feel I lost a step after turning 49 last summer, especially after a few very low mileage months in August to October due to a move and a new job. I just haven't bounced back mostly in the area of endurance. 
I've addressed everything physically. I'm not injured. Vitamin levels, blood work are good, et cetera, et cetera. But I just can't pull off the long distance runs like I could before. So maybe I'm not like a fine wine and getting better with age. So Kevin, um, you know, it's a, it's a question I hadn't really thought about. I'm not sure that I like have any good observations as of something similar to that as, as a coach or just in general. Um, I mean, on the one hand, like, okay, yeah, you, you know, you, you're older than you've ever been, right? All of us were older than we've ever been. And, you know, taking that, that break, um, you know, like, like there is going to be a detraining effect. I mean, that's, that's, that's true. Um, but one, one rule of thumb that I've heard before that may or may not relate, but that it takes about as much time to build back to where you were pre layoff as it does as the layoff is. So I don't know the exact dates here, but if we're talking August to October as the time that you were very low mileage, not running much, move in, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's August, September, October. That's three months, right? So doing the math, that means you were back to maybe somewhat starting to build back up November, December, January. So like in theory, you shouldn't expect to be back to where you were until, I don't know, about now. And that, and, and again, and, you know, there's, there's going to be some variance and some people come back a little quicker. Some people come back a little bit longer, depending on how fit you were before that. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, there's some variance there, but like loose rule of thumb, like maybe you did lose a step, but like maybe it mostly just has to do with the detraining and getting back into it as opposed to the fact that you just turned 29 or t- 29. Yeah. To the fact that you just turned 49, right? Like, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, and also, and, 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 you know, I, I don't mean this in any type of, of wrong way, but like, you know, if, if you weren't doing as much because of the move and the new job and what's and whatnot, like, you know, what's, what's your sleep like? Like, sure. Maybe the vitamin levels are good and blood work, et cetera, not injured, but like, you know, d- did you put on any weight like that? Could, you know, and, and, and not, not that we're here to, to body shame or say that, Oh, we gaining a few pounds. It's like, but like, that's a factor, right? Um, you know, are, are there some of those other things that like, Maybe you're still, maybe are you, are you somewhere where, you know, you're up at elevation now or at least a higher elevation than you were. So maybe, you know, the, the oxygen situation is different. Maybe there's more Hills. And so that's, that's got your question in your sanity, but you've been running, you know, in Florida for the last 10 years and, and yeah, the heat and humidity, but like, it's all flat as a damn pancake. And now you're in Georgia. Oh wait, that's me. Um, but yeah, you know, like my, my numbers aren't maybe quite as good. Um, especially getting back when I first, when we first moved here, but like, you know, it was, it was the hills. So like, is there something like that, that, that maybe isn't quite as drastic, but also like, you know, are you running it after, after work instead of before work? Um, and so like just the fatigue of the day, like, like there's a lot of factors that could also be at play that might not be blatantly obvious. And, and maybe you're just defaulting to like, well, God, I'm a little bit older than I ever have before. And like, not saying that that doesn't potentially have a part to play into it, but maybe there's like a death by a thousand paper cut situation. That's also going on that like, you know, you're not injured, vitamin, blood, like all that stuff is good. But like, you know, there could be another handful, a dozen other things that are just, just below the surface that aren't going to show up in blood work, um, but could be having an impact. So, um, I would say keep training intelligently. Um, and maybe you just haven't gotten back into the groove enough to remember to, to get all the way back and that there's a better than zero chance, probably a better than 50, 50 chance that like, you know, give it another couple few months. And like, even if that means it's longer than the three months that you were not training as well, um, you'll probably be back. And then the other question is, so like, 
August through October were a shit show, but like what was April, May, June, and July like? Like if 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 you weren't at peak fitness then, but now you're in January and you're like, well, how come I'm not at peak fitness? Well, like you also weren't at peak fitness right before you, not saying you weren't, but like another thing to consider. Maybe you're, you're trying to think back to where you were this time a year ago or, or in March or whatever your last big race was. And like, oh God, like, I, I don't like, maybe there's a little bit of perspective that a bias in perspective or, or selective selectivity in perspective that like, oh yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't exactly in, in peak fitness just before we, just before those two, those low mileage months. And so if you look back at, at what your training volume, distance, et cetera, was like in June and July, maybe it looks pretty darn similar to where you are now, which means that you are kind of back to where you were, just not to where you were comparing. And I don't know, maybe I'm missing the mark completely. Stranger things have happened. Um, but, but hopefully, you know, whether it takes another couple few months, whatever, um, I think there's a pretty good chance you'll get it back. Just stay the course. Keep keep training intelligently. Keep taking care of your body, um, and hopefully, um, you know you'll be feeling you'll be you'll be running like your old self, which was actually your young self, sooner rather than later. But thanks for the question, Kevin. Appreciate you. Uh, and with that, let's uh, let's wrap this one up, shall we? Uh, good good mess of questions. Still managed to be like I'm still a little surprised that we got to be to two hours. Yet why why should I be surprised? That's how these things tend to full unfold. Even you know, eighty questions it's two hours. Twenty questions it's two hours. Your boy just likes to talk apparently. But anyway, what did I get right? What did I get wrong? What questions had you shaking your fist? What questions had you nodding your head? Uh, let me know. Thoughts and feedback always appreciated. At Dizruns on Twitter, at Dizruns on Instagram. Of course, there's uh, Dizruns at gmail.com if you want to shoot me an email. And if you want to head over to the show notes today, where just about every question was answered with uh, a meme and or a GIF. Uh, you want to see see the nonsense, disruns.com slash 1121, disruns.com slash 1121. There's also that comment section there at the bottom of the page. Feel free to comment to your little heart's content. And uh, if you want to get a question a- asked, you, know, you can go the Gary Joe route. You can shoot me a, a DM on Twitter, you know, somewhere towards the end of the month and, and hope that uh, I see it and it makes the cut. Or you can join the Facebook group, disruns.com slash Facebook. Come join the party. We'll let you in unless you prove to be a douche, and then we'll kick you out. But if, you, if you're not a douche, come join the uh, the Facebook group, and we see that call for questions in the middle of the month, which is coming quick because don't look now, but February is a short month. So we're going to be doing this again soon, just four weeks from now. We're going to do this again. So get your questions asked. I'll get your questions answered, and it'll probably be about two hours because that's apparently how this all works out. But anyway, y'all appreciate the time. Appreciate the attention. Hope you enjoyed this one. Thanks for the questions as always, and until next time, y'all be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll talk soon, right? Later, y'all.